We are live. Christine Chen, how are you? How's the family? How's it? Is everyone safe, healthy, all that good stuff? Everybody's good. So they're all in Colorado and been FaceTiming and all that jazz and staying indoors and quarantining. So they've been good. Nice. Yes. How's the quarantine treating you? Um, Honestly, for me, it's been, it was a good pause. Um, I needed it and it came at the right time. So I would say, I probably lucked out compared to a lot of people that I know. So uh, I needed this break and I utilized it very well. I, in, nice. a, in my opinion, I'm going to grab some water real quick. Please grab it. some water. I've got a stash IPA. Okay. It is delicious and fun. So um, as I said, I shout out the email to you. A couple of things. One, uh, you know, we're, this is obviously, you know, what's happening in the world is affecting small businesses and people and big businesses and everyone in between. So I like to take a quick moment to, um, to share uh, some small businesses that people should go visit based on the city that you're in that I'm in and everything else. So here in Austin, of course, I just opened up a stash IPA from Independence Brewing. I love Amy and the crew. She's been on the podcast. Uh, they do an excellent job with beer, but also, um, want to uh give a shout out to um you know the uh the great people as a beer and pizza lover the wonderful people at pine house pizza um mm. they make good good pizza they've got a they've actually got a good gluten-free crust which blew my mind uh, i've seen that as a you know it was, it was amazing uh they make excellent beer they've got excellent point of sale i'm wearing their hat right now so they just they got good clean looks they've got everything about there so folks go check them out pine house pizza online on instagram at facebook share them a note try the pizza if you can i know money can be tight so sometimes it's as simple as just um giving them a like and a follow and tell them they're doing good work how about yourself um i'm in shreveport louisiana right now fantastic and uh i know that there's an organization that i'm part of called Louisiana Film Prize and they've been doing a really good job just keeping people's spirits up by having um, screening events free online that's extreming and stuff with Q&A's with different um, filmmakers and stuff which for me as an independent filmmaker is huge because what we always need is exposure and so um, they've been doing that a lot and and, uh, I guess the other one would be there's a lot of local uh, restaurants. Uh, one of the ones that donated actually to a production of mine uh, a year ago is Ono's, and they went back to their roots and are now uh, doing their food truck again. And so they're like a Hawaiian type um, 
food. And so they donated to our production in Root uh, last yes. year when we were shooting around this time, actually. And um, yeah, we really appreciate that. And uh, it's crawfish, crawfish season's almost ending. Yeah. So I, I'm a big crawfish fan. Okay. So I always give a shout out to Shavers because they donated to my production back in 2016 for my film Yaobi because there was a scene in there with crawfish in it. <laughs> yeah, which is, I, I like to write in food that I like to eat into my scripts. Nice. <laughs> Selfishly, so I can eat it afterwards or during or whenever I shouldn't be. And uh, Kim Seafood, I've been getting crawfish from there every weekend. So, so. Fantastic. Good. I mean, this is, you know, this is, a, I think, a, a monumental time for people to get together and help out any way they can. And, uh, you know, like I said, sometimes people don't have the finances to go out and, you know, support because, man, there's not a lot of jobs running around. So yeah. anything they can do to give a like and some love, I always recommend, uh, you know, just because it helps people out so much. So I'm going to hit play. I'm about 25 seconds in. Okay. Um, we're at 20 or 30, 31, 32. Uh, but so you pick this movie. We're going to talk over Inception. You're yeah, a filmmaker, so a couple of things, obviously, we want to, before we get too deep into anything, social channels, um, you know, where people can get in touch with you, and also um, movies that you've, that you've made that are online or available so people can go search them and find them. Sure. Um, for me, personally, my social channel is Instagram, uh, C-C-H-E-M, Moth of Flame, M-T-F. So I guess you'll put it. Will you tag me, I guess? Yep. And then um, I run a production co company called Moth to Flame Films. And mm -hmm. so um, we have an Instagram channel for that. And I, I started a company last year called Get Realisms. Um, Get and then Realisms is R-E-E-L-I-S-M-S. -E -E uh, in fact, there's a book around here. Let me go grab it real quick. Go grab it. Oh, she's got movies. She's got books. She's got insights on wonderful food in Louisiana. I don't want to miss this nonsense. This is amazing. Um, okay. So that's my other company, Get okay. Realisms. And uh, basically we made this book because so many of us have started on film sets knowing nothing and didn't <laughs> go through film school at all. And uh, we just showed up and kind of figured it out. And on a film set, it's very much like the military where they kind of have very distinct jargon that they say. And okay. it's not intuitive whatsoever. So you, you won't know what it is until you've been on a set for a while. And so for somebody who's never been on a set, it's extremely, it can be nerve wracking because people ask you to grab something and you really just have no clue what they're saying. So they'll be like, hey, can you grab me that apple? Not like a physical apple, but there's, Apple is short for Apple Box, which is a thing, you know, on, that we use on a film set. Or, hey, can you grab me that? Film. Yeah. So a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> 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 grab me some stingers. Let's throw a half, you know, on that. Or, you know, just different things. And, and we wanted to make or bring the filmmaking experience a little closer to um, newbies. And really, you know, a mom or whatever can read it and be able to talk to their film child. You know, and so yeah, but we made that so get realisms. Nice. Yes. It's um so that that's really interesting. You know, it, every industry seems to have a specific jargon. I remember uh, I got hired to um, do public relations for a database company, and I'd never mm -hmm. done that before. 
And I come in and I don't know what these people are saying. And they're just talking in acronyms. And there's whole sentences that are, mm-hmm. you know, hey, Jason, anyways, we do the XML and you parse the XPS to divert mm-hmm. it through a data mine to a data mart that then parses. Back. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, okay, I got to Google everything. This yep. is nonsense. And then, you know, a month into it, I'm speaking that same way. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's overwhelming. Is that... Is that for speed of function or is that to weed out? I feel like it's both. Okay. I think it's totally both. It's, it's, it's definitely an easy way to know like, oh, that guy is green. You know, just <laughs> like you just know if they're confused or whatever. It's so, and I, I think it's people take pride and it's like a little click, you know? So it's like, oh, we're in the film industry. So we talk in our own language. And, but I also do think it is speed as well. There are just certain things. There's a, very long technical term for certain stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so saying, hey, can you just hand me the shorty versus can you hand me the little C-stand that is, well, there's which one, you know? Okay, well, it's the baby. Well, okay, I know what that is, you know? So, um, or give me, yeah. So, the, and then it's, it's just things passed down through years and through veterans and I don't know how they decide which terms make it to common lingo because we've been trying to throw in our own stuff that hasn't t- taken on into effect yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. I, what was, so uh, what, real quick, we're talking over inception. Uh, you picked this movie. It's one of your mm-hmm. favorite movies. What makes this movie special to you? So I'm a huge Christopher Nolan fan. Um, and I have there's I have a one degree separation with Christopher Nolan, so that's probably also why I really love this film. Um, I guess two degrees because I I know somebody that knows Christopher Nolan, so that's what was that two degrees? That's one degree. One degree. One degree separation. Okay, and so uh, I feel like I'm connected to him in some in some way, but I I think I love Inception because I feel like Christopher Nolan is a perfect meld between commercialism and art. So he still very much has his original stories um that he writes that you can't find anywhere else it's very him yet it's still appealing on a massive scale and i find that uh filmmakers kind of veer one or the other they go too so artsy nobody gives a shit about what they make because it's too avant-garde or they go so commercial that it kind of loses its art value it's more purely for entertainment so that's what I love about Christopher Nolan is that I feel like he's kind of the best of both worlds and Inception, just the, the layers, the, the three of the three. I just think he paid so much attention to all the details. And I love watching like behind the scenes or like they do those like back to back comparisons of like, Oh, here's the music playing. And there's the band that's like falling backwards into the water and like Mm -hmm. time by time, frame by frame, like how it matches together. And it's just like, how much detail you are not the first filmmaker i've talked to that is that has encapsulated that about christopher nolan that he is one of the few that if you give him a hundred million dollar budget he delivers across the board in some magical way he can touch the action junkie he can touch the special effects junkie and the person who wants a story who wants to go in and see and feel something he can, he doesn't touch them. He like grabs your heart and your mind and manipulates it in film. Yeah. And it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. What now, yeah. Uh, you're, you're in New Orleans. What are, um, 
for people uh, who want to look up some of your films online before we get too far into Inception. Sure. Um, so a lot of them are on Amazon right now. Perfect. Which I like to say. So if you go and type in my name, Christine Chen, they'll pop up. Um, so right now there are five of them that are online. Um, what is a feature? Fun employment. It's the first feature I first movie I ever made. So it's like it's total shit, but I I love it because. Uh, I put myself through film school making that film, basically. Okay. So it's kind of got like a clerk's type of feel, kind of a just low budget, you know, fun type film. Um, and then I've got uh, Gloria's on there, The Earth Below, Yaobi, um, Six Wars. So those four are on there. And then I have four more that are, are four more that are coming out that are just taking forever to get through QC or Amazon. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but yeah, you can find it there. You just go to my website, christinewchen.com, and I have this one page dedicated to whatever films you can basically watch for free online. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch all of them. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. It's, a, um, it's an interesting thing, uh, filmmaking and storytelling, right? Because yeah, if you I love it. If you didn't write it, you're telling someone else's story, but then you're still, there's, I mean, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm, circumventally trying, trying to ask this question of the relationship of the written word mm-hmm. versus how you see it and knowing the biases of what created that written word that inspired you versus the biases of your life that influence how it's seen. How do those match up? They really can go hand in hand and they also vary in degree by how personally you're connected to the story. So I've definitely directed stuff that other people have written. Mm-hmm. And I've obviously directed my stuff that I've written and it is a different relationship in terms of, I think it's funny. I feel like the perfect world would be you have a direct connection to it, but you are still separated enough from it to make the subjective decisions. So there's a problem when you're so connected to a piece of, uh, piece of work that you're not able to make those decisions good or bad because you're, you're being a affected by how you feel about it versus Mm -hmm. how an audience feels about it and that's why i always having now done it a while and i i often edit my own stuff i like to take time away from it um if i can uh with fun employment for example i took a year off up from it before repicking it up and then being able to be like oh shit like why did i keep all this or like why is it because at the time it's hard because you're you're thinking of like, oh, that shot was so hard to set up. It took us an hour for that shot. And to cut that hurts, you know, or that you're seeing like, oh, I wrote that when I was really sad from a breakup and it means a lot, but everybody else doesn't care about that. They just care how it affects the story, you know? So being able to really stand outside of yourself and, look at a, your own piece of work from a non-emotional aspect is really, really important. And if you can't, that's why they always say like, hey, directors shouldn't edit their own work. That, that's the reason is because an editor doesn't have that emotional connection. They can be like, this is a boring monologue cut. This is, I don't get this cut, you know, <laughs> that thing. So, yeah. Um, so I think when I direct other people's work where it's written, it's easier definitely for me to make those decisions or to be able to read through a script and say 
hey, like, I don't know why we have this, like, you should delete that type thing, or we should cut this and stuff. And, and uh, it is definitely a lot more difficult with my own work, but you build in things like letting other people read it, watch it, you know, critique it to help you get to the point of separating yourself from it emotionally. I mean, it's almost like you have to be two different people in some yeah. capacity, right? You've got to be the passionate artist who wants to put forth the story that makes, that, that drives that passion and fuels it. And then you have to be the calculated pragmatist that goes, but other people want to watch this. <clears throat> exactly. So, yeah, because film, go. I mean, essentially, film is a business, and I, and I know people forget about that um clients forget about that <laughs> and <laughs> and and yeah artists themselves forget about that that yes you want to make it for yourself but if nobody watches it then you're also not in a good place either so that's why i love christopher nolan because he I, he really pays attention to that i think yeah he's very it's very unique and different you know uh, we're watching this movie and they're in a dream and you know the i, I love where Christopher Nolan lets things kind of go. Same with Quentin mm -hmm. Tarantino, right? They do something and then everyone yeah. has their idea of what happened or what's there. What was in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction? And, you know, is it a dream inside a dream inside a dream? Or is it, you know, and everyone's got, but they allow it to run and it creates this cult-like nostalgia of letting you interpret a film in, in, yeah. a, in a completely different way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's such a, it's a cool film. And he pays attention to so many of the details. And I don't know. I really, I, I just, he just has a way of making things super epic too. Like everything, the way it's shot is epic. Very yeah. cinematic, I guess you would, you would call it. So. And I mean, like we're, I'm watching right now, right? And they are, they're on the train, but they're in the dream. You know, and some would say that they're in a dream and a dream and a dream, but they're on the train in the dream. And you're seeing these massive explosions and you're seeing all this stuff. And yet still at the same time, the depth of story and the way the characters are reacting, I mean, the, the acting is superb as well. He really yeah. does. I don't, it, it's in, how do you pull out greatness from actors? It, it's comfort. And I also think it's, creating a dialogue and understanding your character a lot too, but also trusting that your actor is going to do their research. So I think a lot of times directors don't give enough credit to actors and they kind of like dictate what they're supposed to do. Sure. And it, I think it's okay to know exactly how you want the character and kind of give a brief about it or to correct something if an actor doesn't do it the way you want it to. But I think, it's, I think a good actor will bring things to you that you otherwise wouldn't have thought about. So they'll ask you questions because they do their research. Like I have uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, current actors right now um, that works with me, Diana Rose. She goes through and like goes back to like when the person is born or like what the person's friends are. Things that are not written in the script, but she does all that research because it affects a person and how they're going to react to things. And she'll ask me questions like, well, it was this person and this person, were they friends or was her parents, were her parents divorced? Like about a character that I like hadn't even thought about. 
and like that's that's a good actor somebody who who does that so i think it's a it's the conversation and if you're able to make a, a actor feel safe to have that conversation with you as a director i think you'll be able to pull out some pretty amazing performances because of that that's a really interesting take because that shows the depth of what acting is because i think a lot of times people think oh i could do that i could get go into makeup sit down and and recite lines i got that it's easy and i know some actors you know that are you know my friend vanessa marcel who was on vegas and now is doing movies and you know they work hard at emotionally mm-hmm. getting vulnerable in a way that um that i don't think people in real life even do amongst their friends or family right they have to be very 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 vulnerable and you know sometimes they'll tell you what their methods are but like sometimes you'll watch it's fascinating sometimes i'll watch my an actor just go with some music and after five minutes of listening to the music they've got tears in their eyes you know Mm -hmm. it's amazing most people can't do that um and so they are very they're able to open up to feel these emotions that otherwise most people try to bury i feel like or have buried so much they're not able to assess access them anymore and so i think that's what's cool and you can tell a good actor from a bad actor and and the thing is like people think they can do it okay maybe they they did that exact scene in that exact order all everything is shot not in chronological order that's the thing that people don't realize (laughs) so so hold on so i could be one day like let's take you know um just a, a basic line of guy as a kid with his wife they go on vacation plane crashes tragedy of guy's life yep and the first scene could be not me with the kid and excited but tragedy and then the depression of my life and finding new love and whatever that is and then the last scene could be me with the family happy and so excited totally oh yeah the hell you guys not own a calendar (laughs) what's going on (laughs) No, Why it's amazing. Like that? It has to be that way because, um, and now I'm going to put my producer hat on, um, because of money. And okay. so if you think about it, let's say you are at a house and you return to that house multiple times in a story. Well, it's probably cheaper to book that house out for a week and shoot everything that happens in that house than go back to that house every other day or whenever it is in the part of the script to shoot it um it's the same thing that's why certain actors may not see another actor ever even though they're in the same movie together because they never appear in the same scene together so um it's it's oftentimes like people who are able to get like celebrity cast in their films mm-hmm. they're there for two days to shoot everything that they're in and they leave yeah because that's, that's all like, you can afford them for yeah you're like i get i get you for two days yeah. And it's either what? You pay them out or you pay them a smaller portion, they get a portion of the um, ticket yep. money or sales yeah, yeah. or distribution. Yes. Yeah. That's the only way you can afford them. And so, um, and I'm also an assistant director. So what that job is, is I basically schedule out. Um, so I'm very familiar with this. So I schedule out how um, a film is going to be shot. And things that I think about, for example, are we want to move as little as possible. 
So if you take Austin, are you, you're in Austin, right? Yep. Circle. Okay. Okay. You take Austin. Now, if you were to shoot in Austin, I wouldn't put a scene in North Austin and then one after it in South Austin. Like the traffic that <laughs> travel time between the two would cost us two hours of our day, which sure. is two hours of shooting. I would shoot everything in North Austin and then finish that out and then shoot everything in South Austin, like on separate, separate days. So that's, those are the things that are, that, that are affecting everything. Um, it's also like how, and also anytime you move a location, it's a whole thing. Like you can move like literally down the street and people get lost and like, things get lost and like it's 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 a whole thing and it will take at least an hour <laughs> how much patience do you have you must be the most patient i'm getting stressed here <laughs> i'm starting to and sweat easy. a little bit i'm getting annoyed that someone got lost moving down the block i don't even know who they are but pam or or tim they're already on my shit list okay <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I'm, I'm already upset <laughs> Believe me, being an AD is probably one of the most stressful jobs on a set. And I pride myself for being very patient. Um, but yes, you're dealing with people all the time. And it's funny, one of my things that I've started writing in my emails to cast and crew is the information is on, we get this thing, I have to make this thing called a call sheet. Mm -hmm. So a call sheet is essentially like, this is where we're gonna shoot. These are the scenes we're going to shoot in this order. And these are the people you can call or whatever if you need a contact, phone numbers. Basically what a babysitter would leave, like their babysitter if they were to leave. Like sure. everything essential that you possibly could need. I will still get calls or texts from people being like, what time are we shooting tomorrow? And I just want to like kill them. After I sent this giant like Bible full of information and I'll get like, where's the location address for tomorrow? Like, uh, what should I bring? Like, and like, just stupid questions because people are lazy and um yeah i have to be very very patient about it so. you've got to have two lists you've got to have the list where you're like all right these people read it and this is the i don't read shit list and oh, i yeah. just know who i'm I getting just a text know, exactly no that's absolutely right like i know and it's funny like crew and there is personalities that gravitate towards different positions um so i know for example if I send, like, I have a separate way of handling talent and a separate way of handling crew and mm -hmm. a separate way for handling talent that's never been on set and, like, all sorts of things. So, like, I know that talent never looks at the call sheet. So I have to text them individually all their information and then tell them to email me back that they've read everything. Like, but crew, for the most part, I know they'll read the call sheet because it's, like, their Bible type thing. So I don't yeah. have to worry about that. But it's just, like... When you've done it enough, you kind of kind of know these things, or you'll you'll know people too. Like, all right, if I send it to Adam, he'll never read it. Like, <laughs> just just I just need to deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> what you know, one of, one of the things that um, that connects people to film and you know to their favorite movie star, you know, is is the <clears throat> influx of reality television and you know in, in seeing personal parts of their life that maybe before no one had ever seen I like to turn that on its head a little bit you know for people to really um, I would say understand a little more of your movies 
you know, mm -hmm. t tell us a little bit about how you got into film, you know, what inspired you to do it. And I know you called your first movie shit, but it's your first movie and you love it. I love my you know, so <laughs> what was, and then give a little, you know, emotional ride uh, uh, and that courage of that jump from the high dive to go make that first movie. Walk us through from. Sure. Uh, this is, so I, when I go back and connect the dots, I realize I've been making films since I was a little kid, but, but, but that I didn't know. So my first film was VHS elementary school. I made some sort of commercial for my elementary school class about why people should read science fiction novels. But that was our assignment. And from there, I realized that teachers are really tired of, of crappy essays. And I, it, I can easily convince them, instead of doing an essay for my final project, that I'll just do a film that shows that I know the material, but it's a lot more entertaining. So I did that for um, an English class. I made a film about fashions of the 1960s or something. I did, uh, I did a Unsolved Mysteries about Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> and, uh, and then I did a series of microbiology commercials showcasing uh, products using microbiology uh, for wow. my microbiology class. Oh yeah, I got creative. And so, but I never really knew about professional equipment. It was just whatever my parents had basically. So they always had like a VHS or some sort of consumer grade uh, camera, camcorder. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was until undergrad, uh, I went to Rice University, I took my first elective uh, in documentary filmmaking. And that's when I started to see professional editing software and professional equipment. And I really fell in love with it pretty fast. Um, I spent probably 80% of my time on this one class and like 20% on my 10 other classes <laughs> like that, that was pretty much like a determining determining factor and um but i still didn't know even after graduating that that's i knew i loved it but i didn't know that that was possible that i could do that as a career sure. um, because it's very much hammered i came come from a stereotypical traditional asian family where you can only be a doctor uh engineer or lawyer um and so oh, oh no i started to interrupt but uh, yeah no I've talked to some people from traditional Asian homes and, and as, uh, families, as well as Indian families. My buddy Shaw, he's a, you know, he's a, he's a famous rapper. He's <laughs> touring the world, you know, and he's like, I could win a Grammy for putting a song on an album. And they'd be like, your son won a Grammy, not a doctor. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Although I, I have a joke that um, I, my parents are trying to connect with me more. Okay. And uh, they came to me and said that they just watched this most incredible movie that I need to watch. And it was Fast and the Furious 8 or something like, something like that. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> I'm glad that this is what you think like great cinema is. But so thank you. So, I, so my joke is if I ever get a, a cat, when I, when I get an Academy Award, I'll tell my parents that uh, I'll tell the audience I still haven't made it yet because I haven't directed Fast the, the next Fast and the Furious. Basically. You're like, hey, Dwayne, listen, <laughs> I know you help a lot of people out, all right? And I, I'm not asking for a freebie. I just need to be one of the ADs in one of the sections <laughs> yes. of one of these Fast and the Furious things you've got coming out with you and Vin Diesel. You know, Vin Diesel is, he's, 
damn near a billionaire from these because he owns it all. That's cool. He's, yeah, he's smart. Smart. Smart people. Yes. But yeah, so, um, all right. So yeah, no. I'll um, be tagging Dwayne Johnson. It's not that he's going to get it with his do. 20 million followers. You just never know. But you, you never, never know. know. You, you never, never know. know. <laughs> you might take pity. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was doing something I didn't like doing that made me like just say, no, I got to do something I love. And uh, so after undergrad, I was a IT consultant for a good three years. And uh, this is when the universe, you wonder that they're conspiring with you. But I thought, I hated my job. And I was like, I need to figure out what I can do. I'm, I want to go back to school because anybody who hates their job usually thinks that way. Oh, maybe I'll just go get like another degree. And I thought, well, briefly, maybe a lawyer because why not? I don't know. I, I had no clue why. Your parents had rented you Legal me. Eagles. You're like, it's a great movie. <laughs> Very funny. This is how law school is. I'm in. Sure. <laughs> and uh, my parents are like, that's great. Let's get you enrolled in LSAT like prep courses. Well, my LSAT prep teacher was a filmmaker. And uh, yeah. And he was like, hey, do you want to come help us on our film set? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure. And so I jumped on my LSAT prep teacher's um, uh, so 48-hour film set and like a light bulb literally went off. And I was like, this is, this is it. Like, this is what I was meant to, like, I need to do this. And, um, but at this point, I hadn't made anything really but mm -hmm. documentaries, but I just knew that I needed to do narratives. And so I needed a way to figure out how to get out of society but not be a bum to my parents, but be able to make films like full time. So I came up with going to business school um, to get my MBA, actually, because if I go to business school, if I wanted to start a film production company, I would still need that, maybe those skill sets. And my parents would be cool if I went to business school. And if I went to a business school that was connected to a good film school, then I kind of have the best of both worlds. Absolutely. So, so, I, so I did that. I went to UT, which has one of the best film schools um, in the U.S. And, yep. yep. And so I you got took that Macomb's like, Business School as well. Yep, which got is... my Macomb's degree. Yes. So my parents were happy. And uh, I started building my company when I went into business school. And I really didn't know what I was doing still then. Um, I had at this point on the side made like little sketch comedies, you know, just me doing everything and then like throwing a friend to, to do, do some of the acting and stuff, uh, YouTube stuff. Because mm -hmm. for a bit of time, that's when YouTube was hitting it big and a lot of people were getting famous through YouTube. And, sure. and I thought, oh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a YouTube celeb. I really, really thought that. Um, <laughs> um, and so I, I mean, I made a, I made some stuff that went viral in business school. So I made like a parody of, um, I just, I spent most of my MBA time basically grabbing my, uh, MBA friends and making stupid videos <laughs> that did well. <laughs> so you are as a real quick you're you're naturally i mean listen to go to rice to get all that done uh, to go to business school and be able to grab the camera and play and 
and really hone your craft while at the same time getting an MBA, you're, you're a very smart person. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't want that to go unchecked. Ah, thank you. Yeah. I, well, well, I mean, it's a fact. You don't, you don't, <laughs> there are people who do business school and they're like, I, I can't talk for two days. I've got to read these books. And if I don't take diligent notes and do this and this, and if I, you know, and it's not that they're not smart as well. I think that maybe to your point of finding a passion or um, a purpose and, and a purpose, yeah. right? What drives your brain and moves that purpose is, uh, is very unique. Yeah. I also think that I, I think there's totally articles about people who can can be substantiated legitimately health-wise for very, with very little sleep. And I honestly believe I'm one of those people. Like, um, I can get five hours and be fine. I know there's people who can't. Um, and so I just usually am a pretty high energy, extremely high energy person. So that's probably helped me out a lot as well. So, um, but I, I love, I like to learn and luckily I'm a big nerd. So I, I find business very interesting. I find creating very interesting and I'd rather do that than like, I never watch TV. Like I, I don't, unless I, I'm usually the one where like Breaking Bad is 10 years done where I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm going to watch Breaking Bad now. Like it's, it, it's already lost its relevance. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, but cause I never, I, I don't usually have time to. So, um, but yeah, so went through business school, started my company and that was smart. I didn't know it at the time. But when I did the company, what happened was that all those people in there who started their own companies needed a commercial and the only filmmaker they knew was me. So then, yeah. So then I had a string of business after I uh, graduated from, from business school, which, uh, thank God, because I, uh, I, while all my friends were taking six figure bonuses and stuff, I, moved into my friend's dining room and was very poor for a bit so that I could focus completely on just doing films full time. So that's, that's why I, I took the plunge and, and uh, that was really scary because I no longer had like in school, I had the safety net of school loans, right? Sure. Like I knew I wasn't going to go hungry because school loans, and I knew I had a place to stay because school loans. But like after that, it was like fend for yourself. And okay, let's see if my business can actually for reals make any kind of money and pay rent and everything else. So, um, and it's an it's an act of 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 humility in um, in passion when it comes to uh, when it comes to a dream, right? That yeah. there's a sacrifice to it. And I think everyone thinks that that, that dream is easy to come by or you know they, they see your movies and they're like oh well she went to school and she did movies and it's great but they don't see the humble pie part they don't see the living in someone's dining room part that uh but you got to wake up in the morning and still look in the mirror and say this is what i want to do and i love you and by making it <laughs> by making it and even though I'm living it. in my dining room, yeah, that's right. I'm and you're like, I'm still because you at the, right. I mean, at some point, right, yourself to be confident. Yeah. Right. I mean, you you are directing 
a, a film, you are managing people, you're managing hopes and dreams, desires of the companies that hire you, the actors and actresses, that are, everyone that's there. And you're the lead, and no matter where you live, a car, a dining room, or a mansion, you still have to inspire them. And that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a bold thing to be like, I live in a dining room, I'm gonna make this, and you're gonna do a great job. Let's go. Oh yeah, it's, it was, my roommate uh, who, who I was living in her dining room, I remember we went to watch a movie and you know, at AMC they have trivia that happens. Oh, yeah. yeah. And one of the trivia was like, I don't, I can't remember which actor, but like George Clooney used to live in, in their friend's closet. She started laughing really hard. I was like, Suma, I'm living in your dining room. <laughs> She's like, imagine how much more successful you're going to be. That guy lived in a closet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I started. And then um, I really quickly made Fun Employment. That's my first movie um, immediately after I graduated. And, it, and that was me knowing nothing. And I did it because, because I didn't know any better. <laughs> You like the lady Robert Rodriguez. Exactly. That's who I wanted to be. I read Rebel Without a Crew and I was like, he made it for seven thousand dollars. I'm a really freaking hard worker. I can make it for seven thousand dollars. I can make it if I can raise more than that, it's a done deal. It's a done so, deal. Yeah, I and he's exactly I blame Robert Rodriguez <laughs> for my stupidity. But uh no, I, I did it and it's done. It took forever, but it is done and it's finished. And that's why I love it. Like it's, it's like a child. Like it's literally, I birthed this child and you know, it, it's not all right in the head, but like, it's still my child. And uh, I had many, many fun times with, spent many times with him, uh, him or her. So my, uh, my child. So I just, I did a whole series actually on fun employment. Uh, I, when I finished it, I actually didn't want to release it. Uh, it took me a year after it was finished to even release it because by that time I had progressed so much as a filmmaker that it seemed silly to release something that didn't reflect me as a filmmaker at that time. Sure. And it took talking to an intern actually to see the value of what I've done because he was like oh my god that's so cool like how did you make that or where did you do this but he watched it, he said he loved it and then I realized the value of it was it's not that I mean the product is great but it's everything leading up to it and so I did a whole series um that podcast wise that basically goes breaks down how or why the things that we dealt with on this film set and to kind of hopefully give newbie filmmakers the courage to just do it and plunge and make mistakes and make a crappy movie and still, still be very proud of it you know and it's not crappy I really love it I just say that because I people are very critical and they think like every time they watch something they're like it's gonna be academy award-winning it's not so <laughs> I'm setting it straight you know like rappers who like um insult themselves so sure. that nobody else a little self-deprecation and yes. but you know i mean but that it shows there's there's a beautiful thing about showing growth there's a beautiful thing about showing inspiration 
uh, naivete of, of process. And, yeah. and, and then, because if you, if no one knows where you came from, then they don't know how good you've gotten and yeah. they don't know how good you can become. Right. And yes. to, to share everything, once again, that vulnerability, that openness of, yeah, it's not perfect, but it's me and getting it's out. It's very me. Yes. It's very you. So that's perfect. Right. I mean, that is because yeah. it's the first one. And you know, that in turn was correct you know, uh, to, uh, to create a scenario around that, that, that allows um, to show how far you've come, but also how much you still love that, uh, that first kid. Yeah. I, I love it. I, I mean, I, it's, it made me the filmmaker I am. And I keep, I, every time I look at it, I'm like, well, that's why I did this scene and I learned not to do that. Or I did this and I learned to do that, you know? Um, I, I, I really appreciate it. And I will always appreciate the people who gave me the chance, you know, donated to my crowdfunding to, to make it possible. So now as, as a business major and a business question for you here, we're in, sure. a, we're in a new era of movies. Yeah. Cinemas are closed. AMC saying ridiculous shit. Um, I'm not going to show a universal film ever again. Um, <laughs> stop. First of all. And I mean, no offense, but, and I'm speaking a little bit in hyperbole, but AMC, all you've done is charge me for popcorn to give me base. This is what you've done for me as far as engagement in film. You've given me better sound and $15. Your, your popcorn prices have gone up and the sound quality has gone up. The actual experiential portion of it is, you know, a reclining chair. I mean, I love what Alamo does when they do Jaws on the water, right? Mm -hmm. scuba oh, dive, gosh. I've done that before. So fun. So much fun. Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the house where mm -hmm. the guy was out in the field. You know, that experientially creating something new. And uh, I wonder um, for you and your films, the, um, where is there, is there a comfort in people can watch it directly at their homes through Amazon or other streaming services? Or is there a, a loss of nostalgia of uh, the, um, the screening at, at the movie theater? And, and where do you think we're gonna come out of this at? Sure, um, I'm not a purist. And so purists are, I feel like people who only believe that film should be done on film and that anything else, I've always been like, whatever works, whatever mm -hmm. can get things done. Um, Cause it's worked really well for me. If, if, if I had been a purist, I wouldn't have been able to make my film. So, because it wouldn't, nothing would have been good enough to, for me to start. And so, yeah, it will suck if, you know, theater or whatever, it becomes not as big of a norm um, to go watch a movie. But for me, it's, I'm just happy when somebody watches some of my films. So however they want to do it, like, sure, if they want to watch it on the phone, it probably looks better on a bigger screen. But if that makes you happy and that's the way you can, can watch the film, then by all means, that's, that's kind of how I think about it. I you want to, you want to meet your customers where they're at. Yeah. Exactly. Do you, um, do you like that? The, um, I mean, I've heard rumblings that there's going to be a change, the Academy Awards and other major uh, uh, awards groups, or maybe you don't care about awards, but they are, they're, they're now looking at online films as, as, 
not maybe not their own category, but that they can be nominated for these awards? Oh, I I didn't know about online films, but oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, it basically they are um, releasing the policy that so before you could qualify to be in the academy, you had to play at on a theater in a theater um, in a festival. But yeah. because we can't go to the theater, they've temporarily removed that ban. I don't know if it's a forever thing, but it's okay. at least for like the next two years or next year or however long this COVID thing goes on for, basically. So um, yeah, that's that's what that is, uh, where they are allowing, you know, because a lot of these film festivals like Cannes Film Festival, Tribeca, they've all gone online in order to to keep film going. And so um, that's that's my understanding of it. Um, I, if if anything, I think it's all fair game, honestly. I, I just, I think that's the reality of it. I think that in the end, the consumer will determine what movies, you know, will play or will do well in the box office. And if you want to play, if you want to be mad and whine about it, that, you know, studio-backed films are doing better than your independent film or, or vice versa, then... I just feel like you're wanting like a handout and you know, I think it's like, if you're good enough, it shouldn't matter. That's, that's yeah. my, that's my, has always been my, um, my thought process. Um, if, if you're good enough, then it shouldn't matter. Um, I just, I, I feel like people are very protective about stuff. It's, it's this idea. And I've talked about this with people is this idea that there's a, a pie and that pie is only so big and only when the pie is done then nobody else has a part of that pie and it's that mentality of scarcity that drives people to 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 to, to have to set all these stipulations or, or, or to whine when they let other people in or or whatever it's because they think that there's only a, a small pie but in my eyes if we build one person up, that pie grows and there's opportunities for everyone. So I don't know, maybe I'm a hippie, who knows? Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's a beautiful thing. I, uh, I would like, you know, uh, personally, I mean, I think barriers like that should be removed. Um, I think it's weird to watch the world change around you, mm -hmm. right? And then, but hold on to something because, yeah, just get off my lawn. I don't want to change. And, and, and it's, you know, it's, it, things are evolving rapidly around you and you have a choice, right? I mean, film, I don't think is ever going to leave us in some, movies aren't, television's not, it's not going to leave us, but how we decide to embrace, you know, or how those mediums decide to embrace the change around us, mm -hmm. you know, actively access, you know, their success and their growth. Um, and, you, you know, you look at what's going on with, people, you know, viewership's down on the awards. And I think some of it is that, you know, people, um, you know, in, in their rights, don't get their just desserts, if you will. You know, you've yeah. got the Academy and there's like, we love diversity. Here are four white male directors and here are yeah. four white male producers. And they were backed by four white guys. And there you go. And I, my only argument that I have uh, to the contrary is I never see anyone 
post the movies that I should watch. I see the movies that are like, I can't believe these only got nominated, but I don't see, you know, like, uh, you know, Kestrin uh, Petrin, who did Mother's Little Helpers, right? You know, she's mm-hmm. a very nice lady, did her movie. Oh, you know Kestrin. Oh, yeah. So I, I did, um, I, I got to watch her movie before it came out, and then we talked over it right before it came out. Okay. And, but, like, so, you know, if, if that, like, let's say she was not nominated, but should have been, as an example, mm-hmm. for that, for that right. movie. No one puts her up there as, right. here's a female director you should watch. Christine WHN, here's a female director. Like, I still don't know where to go. Right. And I, I just, I wish, you know, on, on the change side that people would, would shift the narrative to instead of, I can't believe this happened, which is still a just travesty. But also then, because, why I'm upset is because here's a list of great directors, great producers, great cinematographers that fall into these other categories that have been ignored multiple, multiple times. And you probably right. didn't even know that you loved their films. Right. So something a bit more constructive where you can actually build or change from it versus yeah. just complaining. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you know, COVID-19 is, I mean, I'm still kind of a brash beer drinking kid from Montana, but mm-hmm. it's taught me a lot about listening a little more and constructing things a little differently that put mm-hmm. out a proactive response that helped. Yeah. Which is a reactive response that is judgmental and actually yeah. pushes people away. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. I, th- a, I think. Go ahead. I would say it's, it's easier. I guess I think about this from my line of work as an AD. Um, I find it's harder to be patient and to listen and to provide cons- like action and people are looking for that. And most of the time when people come to me, they're complaining about something because they're angry and blah, blah, blah. And so, so it's kind of like that. It's, 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 it's being able to stop and process and then come out with something that is actually going to be useful. And the problem is most people, it takes time to do that. And most people are not willing to take that time. It's easier and more immediately satisfying to express your emotions without any sort of constructiveness, I guess. Oh yeah, I mean, I got myself in trouble the other night. Uh, <laughs> our neighbors, we all get together, um, you know, the, the four, three dads, we kind of sit down and the kids are on the trampoline yeah. and we're swimming in the pool and we're hanging out, but we always have some beers and we're always at someone's house. And yeah. uh, I had not, taken uh my own advice or had lost a little bit of it after a couple of wobbly pops and i was i'm frustrated about you know education and what's happening my Mm -hmm. kids probably not getting the best education right now because i'm teaching her and (laughs) and i'm i'm not a professional i'm not trained that way yeah Uh, my buddy's wife is an amazing teacher who also runs like a division of the school has like 19 teachers under her amazing human being works tirelessly but in my blunt frustration i was like i don't need to see another post about do you care about teachers right now because they look like a babysitter with only talk to my daughter for a half hour on monday a half hour on tuesday and then i do all the work during the week Mm. and appropriately not put 
disrespectful? Absolutely, especially yeah. at their home. I mean, jeez, yeah. Jason, for crying out loud, take the foot, the leg, and everyone else's foot right out of your mouth, <laughs> put it right to your ass. I mean, just kick yourself. You know, and, and my buddy came out and he goes, hey, you know, and they're like, she's a teacher. I'm like, I'm not talking about her. And it's like, yeah, but you're insulting a profession that, you know, and this right. is a giving profession. They work very hard. I'm like, I'm a moron, uh, hands down. And, you know, I sent her, a, and uh, one thing I learned, uh, my friend, uh, Lori Siegel, she's got this podcast and uh, she used to be on CNN, ran their technology and she was on Mr. Robot a couple of times and very smart, smart woman. And I always try to surround myself and, and talk with smart women because I have a daughter and I want her to be inspired, right? I want her to go, oh, wait, these are, you know, the only word she's not allowed to say is can't. I don't care if you cuss. I don't. It's, it sounds out of your mouth. You know, people are like, well, what if she says the F word? I'm like, do you know the etymology? It's a farming, <laughs> term. It's a farming term for going after it's a cabbage. Farm, yeah. Yeah. So no, I don't. But if she says can't, I will, I lose my mind. In fact, in books, when she's reading, she'll go, dad, it's a word I can't, I'm not allowed to say. And I'm just like, perfect. So, it, you know, it, it's this whole thing where then it's like, so I'm like, man, I, want, I don't want to just go over and knock on the door and say, hey, I'm sorry, right? Because I yeah. did, I hurt her feelings. Yeah. But I also wanted her to know that, um, that it, that it uh, bothered me that I hurt her feelings and I felt really bad about it. So I did a video message. Oh. And something I've been practicing, video and audio, so you can see intent yeah. with, with still, you know, fresh wounds. You still get the distance, but you get the intent, the emotion, you see the eyes, you see everything. And she goes, you're forgiven. I know sometimes you're a monkey moron. <laughs> I'm like, still not appropriate. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and you, I'm aware. You, yep. I'm aware and God bless. I need to be more aware, you know? Yeah. Um, and I bring all that up because I think that, you know, in uh, various fortuitous path to, you know, looking at movies and talking about them is people are so quick to judge something. You know, yeah, I, I didn't like this. Well, okay, yep. well, what was your mind frame when you sat down? You know, were you ready for an action film and it was a romance? Um, were, you, were you looking for a, a documentary or a thriller, you know, uh, like Three Identical Strangers? Where were you or did you just click upon it and then just decide you didn't like it? I mean, I, I think people forget about all the other emotive elements that drive you into loving a movie and how you can mentally prepare yourself to really enjoy a film or quite honestly mentally prepare yourself to make sure it's a total shit show. Yeah. You know, um, question for you. Is there a, is there a genre that you would um, never direct? And what is one that you haven't done that you're like, give me the blank check and let me run? <laughs> I don't think I would ever do a, um, what are they called? A snuff film? Or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> just filming murder, just in general. <laughs> yeah, no, never, never any of that. I don't, I don't tend to like, um, I, I think I can do horror if it was smart, okay. but I don't, I don't like just gross out type stuff. Like I wouldn't ever do like a, I've never seen human centipede, but just hearing about it is enough for me to be like, no, no effing way. I, I lost so. a bet. I had to watch all three and do this. Mm. And I did the podcast by myself. Mm. It was uncomfortable. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't recommend it. 
Yeah. yeah. So more like a Jordan Peele horror film that's entirely Yeah, horror. like I would totally do that. I, th- I thought Jordan Peele's was very fascinating and it was great writing and it ha- had different air, uh, layers and it was trying to um, change the conversation, but also in a more receptive way. I don't know. I just thought it was extremely smart. So yes, like that I would do. Um, but definitely would not do just like a, like Saw is smart to an extent, but a lot of it is also to like gross you out too. Like I don't, I really draw my line around that type of stuff. Yeah. I wonder how smart Saw is in the fact that you turn so many of your senses off because it's so gross that you can miss things. Yeah. Right. It's like, I can see that. that. Well, no, because the guy was sawing his arm arm off and I'm not down with that. So yeah, yeah, I I missed something. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I don't think I would, that's, uh, that would not be something I would want to do. Um, I, like I said, my fun point was I started in in comedy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been on a drama track right now. Um, I really like dark comedy. Uh, what I just dark meaning it's a dire situation, but they, they deal with it with comedy. Uh, I think like Little Miss Sunshine would be a dark comedy in my opinion. Sure. Um, I would love to do a sci-fi, um, or something, something or a sci-fi or, uh, anything with like a period piece of some sort. I've done that in short form, mm-hmm. but it's way too expensive. I mean, even doing it in short form is expensive because um, you're rec- recreating a whole world. And you can't just be like, oh, crap, I forgot this, uh, this actor's wardrobe. Can we borrow something from your closet? Like, that doesn't work that way. <laughs> so it's like, no, this is one of a kind, special custom made because no, there's no more 1940s whatever, you know. So, um so drama would be fun. You know what? If someone were to give me a fun superhero movie, I would not be, I would love to do that. I think it would just be so fun to, to, to just, I don't know. I would just be mind blown. I think I wouldn't actually be directing. I'd just be staring with my jaw open at, at like all these like, like, wow, like how did they do that? You know, type thing versus like actually doing my job. Um, but I feel like I would be interested in doing most of the stuff, like I was saying, anything that's like gross out or um, anything that's not intelligent. I just don't, I like, I mean, I'll even do rom-coms and stuff. Like those are fine. Those are feel good and make people feel good. I'm fine with that, you know? Um, I guess maybe stuff that has extreme political messaging, I probably wouldn't do because I have my own beliefs. And Mm -hmm. so um probably things that go against those beliefs would probably be something i'm I'm open to like seeing both sides and stuff but it's if it's radically for a certain side that i don't believe in then i probably wouldn't you know probably wouldn't direct something like that that makes sense Mm -hmm. do you uh when you're um this you know this kind of new age of 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 film that we're, we're coming into where one there's more and more movies being made, you know, that you, you, you can shake a stick. I mean, it just seems like they're, they're out of the woodwork. I was, I got an Instagram pop-up, right? And it was, there was, there's already a Jenny and it's a, it's a lady, two ladies who rescue the Tiger King. And it's a movie about the Tiger King oh God. from the Netflix <laughs> documentary. And 
you know, I like my buddy Chris Howard, who played at Michigan, who, do, you know, um, does films, and Vanessa, and all these other people that I know that work really hard to get the money to do movies, and then you see something come out. Do you ever just shake your head and go, uh, how? How? Yes. <laughs> What's going, how? Who did you call to get that check? Believe me. I've been on sets like that where I'm like, how? <laughs> it's paying my bills right now, but how? Yeah. So I've definitely worked as an AD for certain things where I was, I'm like, how, how did you get the money? You've never, clearly you've never made a film before. How did you get all this money to make this feature? <laughs> can I just so, hire you to get me money for my feature? Because yeah, exactly. obviously you can do that. Out of the film like entirely just give me the money and then just go away <laughs> there was um during the uh economic boom before our, you know the big economic collapse not most recently yeah. but previous to housing there was a gentleman that lived in newport beach california he had an enzo ferrari you know mm -hmm. i think a couple hundred were made um played basketball with us but he brought bodyguards uh with him to play basketball with us uh because you know in case he got fouled too hard you you were just yeah. you were on edge. Uh, he decided to make a movie, and he made some race racing around the world or race car movie, kind of like the Gumball Three Thousand with Eddie yeah. Griffith. And he let Eddie drive his one point two million dollar Enzo, and uh, Eddie went to pull it away, and of course wrecked it instantly. And it's a one of a kind car. I mean, Ferrari hand paints each pa panel for the Enzo. They hand make each panel. So once it's wrecked, it's wrecked. You're not getting. Oh man another one and but he made this film and he's like i'm getting out of the mortgage industry and i'm making a film wow did it flop and it was awful and they had interviewed like years later and he was down in newport beach and you know friends of mine are talking to him and to your point he's like yeah i got paid i don't care how bad the movie was i had a good yeah. time i got to drive fast cars and i got yep. paid i'm out like that guy wanted to waste and he wasted like $75 million because he used all these rare sports cars and there were no replicas. And it was just, you know, the insurance was out of sight. I mean, you've got, you know, a million dollar car. Yeah. But instead in the race scene, you've got 10 of them. So you've got $10 million in car, just in cars. Oy. I can't imagine the insurance. Oh, that makes my heart hurt. <laughs> Man. Would but you I ever, can get it though if you're uh, just a crew member or something like yeah. sure get paid get paid get it done yeah um would you ever uh you know um go back to commercials or could someone talk you into doing a like a docu-series for television or anything like that yeah i still do docs um i love doing do i like docs docs are fun to me um and i and commercials yeah they're bread and butter so if it enables me to be able to continue to do what I do sure. um, easier, then yeah, for sure I would. Um, I would love to direct a commercial for Nike or something. That'd be that'd be pretty badass. So oh, yeah, um, I would love I would love a brand to hand me a check and be like, the theme is inspiration, and uh -huh. then that's it. Sure, we have got Serena. It. We've got Serena Williams. We've got the word inspiration. Yeah. We've, and we'd Do like what to see, you want. We'd like to see our shoes. All right. Yeah. These are these are our three things. I'd be like, you got it. 
Can this be a 30 minute commercial? How long would you like it? Let's, let's have some fun with this. <laughs> I would have a blast. Now I would love that. Love, would love that. Um, one of my, uh, his YouTube star, uh, what is his name? He was, he's awesome. I've met him a few times. It's, it's suddenly, I'm suddenly blinking right now. Um, let me see. I can find him online, but he, he, Nike essentially did that with him, except they were, they, they told him, Hey, could you shoot, um, like a commercial? And he took the money and did their brief just in, not completely the way that they had wanted it. He went and traveled the world basically with the money, but he made a film while he was doing it and it blew up virally. But, uh, I, that would be great if I could do something like that. Um, yeah. What was his name? Do, um, you, do you like Casey the, Neistat? Oh yeah, Casey okay. Neistat. Yeah, sure. And I thought that was coolest. Yeah. Now, do you? Um, I mean, there's there's been obviously the last probably five or eight years or so a resurgence in in not only just documentary films but in, in their popularity. Mm -hmm. um, you know what is uh you know and it seems like there's uh you know it went from just this is a documentary film to now it's they've almost got channels like movies right where it's like oh yeah more of a it's thriller more, definitely more cinematic stuff definitely. right now there's a whole series of uh, one of my favorite docuseries right now is uh, chef's table yep and it's cinematically just badass uh they but you know obviously they're they're it's all with the lighting they're stylistically matching certain things and and like um, Planet Earth is kind of like that too. That's a doc, but it's shot mm -hmm. ridiculously awesome. Um, I would love to do a cinematic documentary. I think that would be fantastic. Um, the gentleman yeah. I talked to yesterday, he has a, um, uh, you know, Chef Joe, Joe Gatto. He's got a, uh, uh, a docu-series on Pluto called From Scratch. And this guy's a nut. I mean, yeah. He makes his own knives so that he can cut the tomatoes that he grew himself to go with the mozzarella, to go to the cow that he milked himself to make the mozzarella, to go to the wheat field to where he got the, the wheat to make the dough. I mean, he's a sight. I'm like, how long does it take you to make an episode? He's like, oh, quite a bit of time. I'm like, do you think? You're making your own damn knives so you can, I mean, like he's literally showing the supply chain. Yeah, but it's it's a cool opportunity, right, to see something, you know, because everything right now seems to be in, in especially in the food world, right, very quick cuts, and here it is, and no, no knocking. Listen, I love chopped, I love diners, drives, and dives, and mm -hmm. you know, but thirty minutes an hour, and it's here it is, and you've got twenty minutes, and make me something epic, and they're like, great, but you don't know how that food got there, where it came from, and he's not yeah. only just going to where it came from, he's growing it himself. I'm like. Good Lord, that's all. There's definitely on, on Chef's Table, the, the chefs that they were following were very big on that. Yeah. The whole sustainability and knowing where your stuff, the farm to, farm to table aspect and knowing where things um, started from. There's definitely like a whole, whole thing for that. And, and um, I think it's great because it's true. We factories and stuff like you just don't know what you don't know what goes into your food a lot of the times so i've been what i've been doing a lot during the quarantine has been really prepping and cooking all my stuff and i've been ordering directly from um 
hopefully that I've been ordering directly from like farms and stuff like that for my produce. Mm-hmm. And so, and there, I feel like there's been a significance in how I feel from what I've been eating. So I think there's, they're onto something for sure. So, but that's, that's cool. That's fascinating. It's, it's, it's fun. I mean, it's interesting to see the, uh, the different takes and, you know, once again, the opportunities that maybe didn't exist 10 years ago for yeah. people like yourself or other documentary filmmakers to really go explore and have fun and, uh, and really delve into things and garner more of a, maybe more of a respect than, uh, than maybe they got 20 years ago. Yeah. Because the power is now in the, in the, for the most part, it is, excuse me, transferring more and more so to the creator. Yeah. And really the platforms have allowed that to happen. So it's, it's a combination of things. It's the platforms that are available. So social media, YouTube, all these things allow you to share your work mm-hmm. and the ability for it to like, go viral, be seen by people. And it's also a decrease in cost for a lot of t- t- technology that gives you the same quality that otherwise 10 years ago would have only been accessible by a, a few people. And because, I mean, I shot a short film with my iPhone. And it looks badass. Yeah. Like recently. It, you hear it, uh, that, you hear that anecdotally, but I've never actually met anyone that's done it. I did. I did it during quarantine. So there was a comp, there was a like funny, fun, somebody tagged me in a, um, uh, a competition, but there's a very famous producer, um, Corman. Uh, I haven't personally seen his stuff, but he, it was very much like low budget, do it yourself, DIY type stuff. So he's kind of got a cult following. Sure. And so he did a Corman challenge and the rules were, it's got to be less than two minutes. It's got to be shot with a phone. Okay. You can only use what lighting that it comes naturally or like lamps and stuff. So you can't use professional lighting. basically. And so, yeah. Hey, oh, you had to follow quarantine rule so you can't like invite your friends over type thing like it has to be like your roommate or like you know figure it out so i i used my roommate and nice. uh shot a and then i did part of it part of it is a zoom meeting yeah so i had other actors but it was all over zoom so still follow the rules and uh yeah shot it with an iphone it was and it was great i accomplished something and it, i love it but I, it looks good. Like, and it's with an iPhone. Like, I, I don't, my VHS film definitely did not look like this iPhone film. That I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely right with the accessibility of, of technology. I mean, I use a free software, Audacity, to edit and add music uh, to mm-hmm. the podcast. It's online. And then if you have a question, good Lord, you type it into Google. And YouTube, and the oh, YouTube, yeah. there's nine different people. It's like, oh, it's the same question. And I'm like, well, thank you for doing the work for me. You, you guys are amazing. God bless you. Yeah. And they knock it out of the park. Uh, it's, you know, it's we, documentary films. I was um, years ago, geez, probably 15 years ago. 15? Yeah, probably 15. Um, I, was, uh, I was working with a buddy of mine, and he got a call from this gentleman who, uh, who wanted to share his story. Mm-hmm. so uh this guy had um at the time he had gotten busted for bringing the most drugs and the most guns into america illegally oh god 
And Janet Reno was the attorney general in Florida at the time. Mm -hmm. She gave him two life sentences. Okay. He has a, he's a very interesting past. Um, he's a very big man, very strong, uh, and, but he's very, very smart. And mm -hmm. some would argue that he would, have, uh, he would have done, you know, he could have done anything at any time, but he, he chose to be a criminal. And um, he had a photographic memory. So he called his lawyer and he goes, I've got a way to get out of this. I'm not going to spend my life in prison. Mm -hmm. Started a company called Convict Consulting. And okay. he would go and what he would do is he would want, he would find, so the kid, uh, one of the sons of the gentleman and husband and wife, I'm assuming teen, who created Pearl Vision Center, got busted for bringing cocaine into the U.S., was doing it 20 years. He goes to this young man and he goes, hey, you're going to tell the police you were a witness to this because he remembered a crime that happened in the same city where he got arrested. Yeah. And he knew the bad guys that were involved. And then well, what would happen is he would go to the FBI himself and he'd say, hey, I have a witness to this unsolved crime. I'd go, okay. He goes, but I want years off my sentence and I want years off, and he wants years off of his sentence. So he would negotiate all of this through his attorney, through convict consulting, wow. and, then, and he would get paid. So they'd, so they'd pay this, this group. Well, okay. you know, the FBI is thinking short term, right? Right. They're like, oh, 10 years off? Who cares? This guy's got two life terms. Who cares? Right. Well, five years later, hundreds of convictions overturned or, you know, witnesses found. He walks out of prison. He's free man. Janet Reno says no and pulls him back in. His attorney calls my friend at 60 Minutes, Henry mm -hmm. Schuster. 60 mm -hmm. Minutes flies down to interview him. Mm -hmm. Janet Reno lets him out with a gag order saying he can't talk. During this prison time, rewind real quick, during this prison time, he was traveling to different prisons in the federal penitentiary system, talking with inmates to help them get off. While at the same time, also um, getting his sentence reduced. Now, if you remember, there was a very famous Pepsi commercial with Cindy Crawford. There was another lady in that commercial who was a model. Mm -hmm. She was married to a major who oversaw a federal prison on a military base. He spent six months at that prison, won her over through handing her notes as he cleaned out the gym. She divorced him, waited oh. for him to come out of prison, and they're still married today. Oh, my gosh. He started a cigar company. He is the craftiest. So we got, I, I got these documents. So I get these documents. I call Henry Schuster. I'm like, and Henry's like, I know the story, but the guy always says he's going to talk and never does. And I'm like, okay, so we're trying to go back and forth. And Henry's like, you have the documents. We've never been able to get the documents. I'm like, I've got them. So I go to FedEx them out to 60 mm -hmm. Minutes. A day later, the police come to my house with the box with the documents because they're tagged uh-huh they're meta tagged and like you shouldn't have these how did you get them uh-huh and i what and i was not allowed to email them and they took them from me oh no it was the craziest thing so we ended up meeting this guy i go to my friend at cnbc i give her the cigars we're gonna do a story on this it's gonna and then just like henry warned me 
one day he's like, yeah, no, we're not gonna talk about this. And it was done. And then he tried to launch a cigar company with Chris and uh, it never panned out. Uh, some weird stuff happened. He went on to help, um, you know, kind of uh, tell his story through a book that really didn't tell his story. I was like, I spent time with this guy. This is, this is not. Well, you know, and emailing him going, Hey, what's with the bullshit? He's like, yeah, well, I don't want to get in any more trouble, but I want to tell my story. Mm. Craziness, craziness. And, but the funny thing is, is like, I think about that story now and I'm like, Oh, there's nine documentaries like that any day of the week that tell a better story that are way, that are just as engaging that have these beautiful background of characters and information and things that, honestly we didn't have 20 years ago not saying i mean I, I just the evolution of documentary films has come so far that yeah you know it it, it went from stories to great filmmaking and they don't always have to be complete i mean like three identical strangers not complete right we don't know mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. studied those kids and why it's locked up at whatever university and they're not going to let anyone know it's fascinating. It, it is. I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's a fascinating thing of how far, all in all, of how, how far film has come. Yeah. A lot of movies. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, Three Identical Strangers is on my list, but I haven't, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, you haven't seen it yet? Oh shit. I don't want it. Well, spoiler alert. It's amazing. No, no, it's okay. Cause I know <laughs> what it's about. So. Yeah. <laughs> now see, I'm old. So, I mean, I always say I'm a young kid. Uh, I'm old. I remember them on Donahue. You know, my, my parents babysat me by putting me in front of the TV. So I would watch <laughs> Donahue and <laughs> all this horrible television. Mm -hmm. So I remember them on Donahue. I remember watching them on the Today Show in the morning. See, I didn't know who they were. So it wasn't, but I knew, but that story was interesting to me. Yeah. It's, it's a must-see. Absolutely. I mean, okay. I, I work from the house. My poor wife, I drive her crazy. She usually travels. And so when she, she's in the house, uh, I'm doing this. There's a movie on, on the big screen in the background. Um, if I'm not interviewing someone, I'm listening to someone or talking or, or doing anything else. Sounds like there's, Darren. <laughs> there's, Darren there's does some, the exact same thing. Does he? Yeah. yeah. I've, got, I've got the iPad. There's like a game on it. She's like, why are you playing a game? I thought I'm like, hey, 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 I'm on a call. <laughs> people, are asking for, people are asking for my opinion on something. <laughs> you're playing a game and the TV's on mute, but you're also watching it. I go, eh, it's crazy up it's there. It's part of the... <laughs> it's, it's broken. There's a lot of broken spokes up there, and this is the one way it kind of clicks together sometimes. <laughs> what do you... Um, where do you see you in five years, ten years? Well, um, depending on how... So I'm working on, a, on a, my next film right now. Mm -hmm. And... I'm pretty sure it's going to be, it's going to be it, you know, by it, meaning they'll put me on the map and then like people will give a crap who I am type thing. Sure. Um, if I do it right. Uh, so hopefully if that goes smoothly, then I know that the film will come out either in 2022 or 2023. Wow. Um, and so then if that happens then my hope is five years from now which would be what 2027 sorry mm -hmm. 2025 yeah. yeah um it will i will be on my next 
somebody will ask me to direct the next one and I won't have to be scrambling for money and begging people for money and people will actually want me to direct their next feature. So that's my hope. What is that? What do you think is that tipping point that goes from recognized great work, but still having to go out and ask for money to recognized great work that people come to you with checkbooks and say, do this for me. I think it's, it's, people are risk averse. So it's a proof that you can make money from what you do. Mm -hmm. So Christopher Nolan gets that because he can show that his last two or three films made box office hits and made a lot of people a lot of money. So if you can do that, I feel like then people will be wanting to um, write you a check to, to make a film. But I, I do, I have heard a lot of podcasts or, or directors talking that asking for money doesn't really ever end. Um, because the thing is, anytime you have a revolutionary or radical idea, people are going to be scared. And mm -hmm. anytime it's new, it's going to be new until proven that it'll work. And you're going to have to ask for people to take a leap of faith to believe in you for those moments. And that's when you need to beg and ask for money. So it's, you know, it's a film reminds me of marketing. You're oh yeah. Marketer, it's a startup. You're a marketer and you ask, you're like, Hey, what's the best market you can get? And they're like word of mouth. There is nothing better than word of mouth. So you have an influencer, you have, and not even influence, you just have a fan who loves you, who shares your word of mouth. There's nothing better. What do you invest in? Pay-per-click. So you've told me what works best. And then you've given me something opposite. And you're like, yeah, but I can track this. Yeah. Even if it's dog shit, I can track it. You know, and I look like, uh, you know, not, and I, I don't mean to throw shade at this in, in any way, but it's like, Jerry Bruckheimer's had a lot of fails. Mm -hmm. Right? Big explosions, yeah. a lot of fails. Yep. Still getting those big checks, right? Because yeah. it's almost like it's almost like it seems like from the outside looking in, Hollywood's got a formula. They've got a thing. Yes. They go, if it goes A, B, C, and D, it works. I'm like, yeah, but we have now over the last 20 years, we have a laundry list of films, of independent yep. films with small budgets that make hundreds of millions of dollars. Why don't you shave five million off of each one of these blockbuster films and proportionally dole that out to independent films, knowing, honestly, if you just my dumb math, right? And doing research before talking, the dumb math shows that they hit at the same rate. Mm -hmm. Blockbusters that flop, flop at the same rate that independent films do. They're just, it's easier to, um, to not see an independent film because it's not on the big screen, right? right? And but if you just go big screen to big screen, they parse the same. Mm -hmm. But the payout on the success of a of a of an independent film is so much greater, so much greater than the payout on a blockbuster. I don't know where the CFO is that still follows the other line. Yeah, I th it it has it's a combination of things. I think it's like like I can tell from from me asking for money, 
you're usually dealing with people who don't know anything about movies, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're going to only know about what's commercial out there and what they see. And so it'll be like, hey, I'm going to do a rom-com. Oh, okay, I've seen that on Hallmark. That will probably make money. Versus, <laughs> hey, I'm going to do a film about PTSD and it's dark and it's about high school shootings. Okay, well, that well, sounds depressing. And that may or may not, like they can't see the value of that. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's like you're, you're, Hollywood is also made out of, made not by artists, but a lot of just by business people who aren't looking at it from the art. They're looking at, literally, they've got spreadsheets. They're like, who's in it? All right, Tom Hanks, okay, he has a ratio return of this amount. So if we put him with this other actor who has a return on investment of this amount, then we have a guaranteed return investment of this. And then we target it to this demographic, which who usually come to spend 50% of the budget watching films and we'll have a guarantee of this total amount of money that we can make. Like it's, it comes down to that. Um, it sucks. It's crazy. And I mean, it's, it really is. It's, it's weird, crazy math that um, that my small little brain doesn't quite understand because I yeah. I try to count on my fingers and toes and just I, I just I do direct comparisons and they're like oh well, you can't compare this because and I'm like I don't want to hear your bullshit excuses I want to see something amazing yeah. and um, on, you know good bad or indifferent right uh, the most amazing stuff I've seen you know generally speaking is independent films and mind you i've seen some bummers as well like anyone but those are my personal opinions too like yeah i wouldn't say they're a bummer film across the board i don't know mm -hmm. someone else would have to watch it i mean i watched uh i went years ago uh, brown bunny did you ever see that no well you know i mean you can they're uh chloe sylvan uh do i can't pronounce her name blonde actress um, i'll look it up she is brown a, bunny yeah, uh, Vigo Mortensen was the like uh, gentleman who, who did it. Yeah. Um, and it, very old school in the fact that the first like 20 minutes, there's no sound, there's no conversation, there's no soundtrack. It's a guy yeah. driving. So it's just him driving and sometimes his thoughts. Yeah. And uh, in that world of him driving and those thoughts, it is, um, it's very, very interesting. Uh, I see. But I was joking around at the theater and it had been kicked out of cons yeah. uh, because there is a uh, very um, gratuitous uh, sex scene with his, I think it was his wife at the time. Yeah. And uh, they, um, you know, anyways, what had happened was is in all of that happening, uh, you know, we, we get up the movies ending and I just, you know, loud mouth. I'm like, geez, that movie was so bad. I want other people's money back. And the, f the whole place just erupted in laughter and clapping. But it, you know, at the same time, it's like, dude, I don't, I mean, there's some people who love that film. They love the controversy about it. They love the idea of what he had done and the boundaries he had pushed of going 60s era of we're not, we don't have to play music. You don't, we're not here to, hit every one of your senses at every moment because you think you need a sensory overload to enjoy a film. Be uncomfortable with me. Yeah. 
you know, what, um, where do you draw the line in where you make uncomfort and where you bring comfort when you're doing, when you're, uh, when you're directing a film? Uh, that one is, I mean, that's a case by case basis for sure. I feel like I often draw the, have, I after often push people out of their comfort zone when it has to do with a topic that they don't want to, I think there's a lot of world issue. I think the way the world deals with trauma, it's mm -hmm. not, <laughs> is they <laughs> kind of just pretend it's not there basically. Sure. And I like to take those issues and put it out there type thing. Um, and so that's maybe where I am comfortable. Cause maybe that's cause my, my, like I said, my earlier background was documentary. So mm -hmm. perhaps that is why I'm drawn to that being okay with pushing that out of the comfort zone and making people uncomfortable with that. Um, but it is important for me for the actors to feel comfortable um, for the crew, but maybe I, the comfort level comes with the, the topic or the, the story that I'm saying. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if I'm just, if any of that made sense or not. No, it does. <laughs> you know, um, one of the things about Inception, uh, you know, I'm kind of fast forwarding a little bit here, but they, um, there's a part of it that's, that's a love story, right? Or a lost love. Yeah, lost, yes. What's, um, what's your love story? For our... For you. For films? No, for you. What's your love story? What's my love story? Yeah. And it might be your love of films. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to pin it down into the the traditional well i met this person you know what's but you yeah. know everyone has love stories in their lives sure. what's one i mean i'm stories? i'm obsessed with making films like to not to be like all right here's another but i am i um gets me more excited than talking to somebody about a film or about thinking about the next i i, I dream about it um, I can't go a day walking around without seeing things that I can see be in a film. When mm -hmm. someone cracks a joke, sometimes I'm sitting there typing it out on my phone because I can see that going into another script. Um, I find humor. I find bad situations. I'm like, well, that would make a good film. Like I, I, I love, I love filmmaking. I, I think the reason for it, and I fell in love with this so much was because it, for the first time, made me feel like I had a voice. And so I come, again, from a very traditional, stereotypical Asian family. And um, in these kinds of communities and cultures, it's about the greater good of the community and about how ev making everyone happy. And a lot of times that means compromising yourself or your beliefs your voice and okay. so because of that i can celebrate my individuality through film without feeling like i had to censor anything um like if you really want to know how i feel go watch one of my films basically or if you, if you want to know like how I'm, uh what's bothering me usually my films you can pretty much see some of that um, and I just really, really fell in love with that because I feel
feel free when I'm on set. I feel um, there's also I'm also very good at it. So I'm I'm on set. I I I feel um, comfortable too to an certain extent. Like I don't know. It's weird. Like I I'm the worst when it comes to like going on a date or like talking to a dude or something like that. But on a set, <laughs> on a set, if you're on my set, I will. I will gladly tell you off if you're doing something wrong, you know, like it, it can be, I remember this one set where it was like 20 or 30, like military, big military dudes. And they were like goofing around or, or whatever. And I definitely was like, quiet on, you know, like yell really loud, quiet on set. Like we need to get to work and probably threw some cuss words in there and they all shut up and, you know, little, you know, went back and did, did their jobs. And it, it's just in any other situation, could I have done that? I don't know. Like, I just don't feel that. But for some reason, when I'm on set, I feel like I, it's like Batman. I, I've put on some sort of suit where I have superhuman powers now on set and I can do whatever I feel like I, sh it, you know, I, I want to do type thing. Um, if that makes any sense so no it does it's um yeah you know you're talking about you hear a joke or you see something do you have friends who look at a movie and uh they hear something it reminds them of maybe a conversation they had with you or around you and they're like hey hey it's mine yeah they'll, they'll, they'll totally or, or they'll recognize <laughs> or they'll they'll watch it and be like you took that situation and put it in a movie <laughs> <laughs> like they'll recognize themselves in the movie like or, like situations or, or 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 that they've experienced with me in the movie they've they've definitely um or yes or they'll be like hey i said that so you're gonna credit me right like when you put it in a movie you know definitely i have, I have friends that, that that do that <laughs> oh yeah it's a uh that that's no i've i've had some friends who have done plays when we've gone to the plays and my buddies looked at me and I'm like that's me. <laughs> he goes, that'll be me. And I look at my friend, I'm like, really? He goes, oh yeah, when we were together, that happened. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you're kind of famous now. At least it, you, made, you made a lasting impression, my friend. With, uh, you know, I had a buddy who dated this film, uh, not uh, a playwright, I guess yeah. you called him, right? And we went and saw the, f the play together and they had broken up, but they stayed friends. And all of a sudden he got really uncomfortable during this one part of the play. It's like, you okay? And he's like, that's, that's our breakup. That's our relationship. That's, yeah. that's me. <laughs> like, well, you're, you dated an artist, man. I mean, come on. It's uh, your fodder, your fodder for the art, you know? It's... Yeah, I definitely had one of those moments. Um, fun employment was definitely about, part of it was a breakup in there. And that person definitely showed up at a screening and it was weird. <laughs> Because they definitely knew who it was, like they could see. Obviously. Oh, everyone kind of knew yeah. what was going on. Yeah, so it was very funny. Yeah. See, that adds a layer and an element to it. Then that you know, God bless people watch it now, right? And yeah. go, you know, it's f figure those things out and have fun with it and see see where your life is and and you know and understand it a little bit better. That's that's. Uh, that, that's a very cool thing to once again be that vulnerable to be that honest um, yeah 
with the actors, with yourself. Do you, do you feel like uh, films, the, the therapist that, that pays you? Oh, yeah. I actually <laughs> think sometimes I feel like, at least being a writer, I have become a better person because of it. And, and the reason why is because I have to be able to see multiple sides to things. So even if it's a bad guy or if, you know, or the person was a dick in the movie, I have to be able to see the perspective of why that person was a dick, you know, and why they could possibly want to do that. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, I'm able to be very open and understanding, way too understanding when it comes to life situations. Um, So, you know, I can... I don't know. I guess an example would be like someone can be a dick to me. I'll be like, well, they were a dick because all these things happened in their life. And like today they woke up the wrong side. Like, so then, so then I can forgive them a lot easier, you know, because I see, I can, I'm able to put myself in other, other characters shoes or other people's shoes. Because of that. Um, it makes me really good with arguments and seeing both sides and being a therapist. And yeah. Therapy for myself. It makes for, uh, I, I like playing that role because it makes for engaging and fun conversations, especially with like my friends who might have a very strong opinion about something. Yeah. And I get a play to them at first and I have to be careful, right? Because it's a fun manipulation play, right? Because you, sure. you can really turn people up and be with them and then instantly just be like, but I would like you to see it this way and this is why, you know? And and navigate these very treacherous waters of still pulling information out of them, getting the best mm-hmm. out of them, but also reminding them of there's multiple sides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you that's really, but that's fun. It's so, so fun. It is fun, and I and I get to do it subtly through film. I mean, I think part of the purpose of, of filmmaking is to be able to encourage people to have those conversations. You know to it's one thing where like I know my target audience that believe in I don't know I'm just gonna throw this out maybe my film is very strongly geared towards like um having gun reform or something well I know those people are definitely gonna watch it but it would give me more satisfaction if people who otherwise wouldn't have watched it watch it and then are able to look beyond their beliefs and argue about it, or at least want to have a conversation about why they don't believe that, you know, like. Do you see that missing? Like I see that missing a lot. Um, you know, I grew up, my mom was a little right at the sheriff of Nottingham. She was Pentecostal, you know, speaking in tongues, white mm-hmm. running down the center of the church aisle with a bad tambourine hand. Um, you know, it's just, it was, it was crazy, but and she'd get mad at me because I'd watch Bill Maher. Or I'd watch people who were opposed to the way she was thinking. Yeah. Well, why, why would you give them attention? I'm like, because I can't talk to them if I don't know how they think. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, whether it's a pro-gun pro or anti-gun is inconsequential to me if it's good content. Because right. it allows me to understand the person. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the problem in the world, that we don't take that time to do that. Like... It's so easy to just jump to 
a conclusion. It's the it's what I was saying. The world doesn't deal most of the time. We don't deal with our problems. We just pretend no. they don't exist because it takes too much time to actually sit and listen and process and understand why the other person is coming from the perspective that they're coming from. So you know, and then we get into what is the kind of the cancel culture, right? Well, I don't yeah. agree with you, or I don't like you anymore. So guess what? I got to block you. I can block your phone yeah, number. I can block culture. your email. And I can get rid of you. And it bothers me for my daughter and yeah. for me, the ease in which you can disassociate now. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a lot of ways to do that now. Um, you can hit a button and complain and never have to face the retribution or the backlash from it at all. You don't need to know how the other person feels when you say that because you don't have to see their face you know and it's so it's just so easy to criticize or to throw your opinion out and and if you don't like it then you block it it's it's i know i, I so I mean, yeah i mean i i own it like it would have been easy for me right we live in a great city there's a lot of shit to do every day of the mm -hmm. week i got a pool i got a kid Neighbors got kids. It could have easily been like, I embarrassed myself with my neighbors and my neighbor's wife. I could have just not ever gone over there again. Yeah. I could have. And, and guess what? In this society today, no one would have cared. Yeah. Right? No one would have held me accountable, held my feet to the fire and said, hey, you're an adult. Apologize and do it properly and, 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 and admonish it. And, you know, and into some self-deprecating way, let other people know that it's okay to be a moron and apologize if you're sincere in your, it's sincere in your apology and you, you want to become a better person after that apology, right? Yeah. But it's own so, it. Yeah. Own it. Mm -hmm. Own, I t my daughter made a mistake and I stole this line from this horrible television series. It was, I mean, horrible in the fact that she was just bad writing and but I watched the whole thing. So it couldn't have been that bad. Or maybe I just love bad television. I can't decide which one, but I'm watching this piece and I'm like this, I will watch, I watched this whole series for one moment. And the one moment was beautiful because this angel and this little boy were walking through a field and he tried to kill a rabbit with a slingshot mm -hmm. and missed. And he goes, and the angel goes, good job. What do you mean? Good job. I missed. I suck at this. And he goes, no, you made a mistake. You're one step closer to being better. <laughs> and that's where I would challenge people, right? You're going to make mistakes. We're not perfect. Right. Lord, we're not. Yeah, we're not but if you own your mistake and don't own it in an arrogance, but if you own your mistake in humility, wow, can you really change um, the world around you? And, and show people that it's, it's, it's okay to be wrong sometimes. It's okay to make a mistake if you learn from it and grow from it, you know? I mean, yeah. I, I can only imagine, and now that I, you know, I get to watch them, you know, I get to see the, the evolution of, uh, of, of, your, of your work, but it's like, that's a cool thing, right? I mean, you've, you've got this beautiful platform, right? No matter where you go with life, no matter you know how family turns out in any way, shape, or form, right? You're one of the few people on planet Earth that has a history of showing your growth, your knowledge, your idealism, and your thought process. 
Yeah. Do you ever, does that ever weigh on you a little bit? Like a hundred years from now, people are, can literally look at everything you've done and map out where you've grown, how you've grown and what that looks like. I've totally thought about it. And I think it's the coolest thing ever. And <laughs> I, I totally thought about this because my thought was, Hey, if they ever have a film class, like I really want them to start with the first film I made and then see like how I've have changed. Um, I literally have had this thought before. Cause I, cause, cause that's, it's, um, it's, I can see how much I've changed and I'd, it'd be fun to, to see. And I always joke with my, um, art designer i was like and while they're studying it they'll realize in every single film there's a salt lamp in there because you always bring a salt lamp for set deck yeah it's a little little like what's with the salt you, lamp yeah don't just drop like a, that come on <laughs> so in every almost every film that i have she's my art director and art directors are notorious for bringing stuff that they have at home to decorate sets okay and she has this little rock lamp basically that looks mm -hmm. good and everything, but it's, it's this rock and it shines beautiful soft light. And it's like in every single film, like everything. I was like, somebody could just literally have a drinking game and just watch all the films and be like, Oh, see it again. All right. <laughs> see, there's another one in that next movie. Yeah. But I would, I would love people to do that. I think that would be very fun and fascinating. And maybe they'll pick up on stuff that I didn't even realize. Like, um, I have a funny example. Something was playing, I can't remember if it was YouTube or what it was, but I definitely looked over and said, oh, that's really well shot. I had forgotten I'd shot it. <laughs> yeah. But my friend said, oh, well, it looks like something you would have shot. I was like, you're right. Yeah, it's totally, it's, yeah, that's, so, and and then in the credits i was like oh shit i shot that um and so i asked them like what it was that made them realize or before i did like that that was something i had shot because i didn't even remember that they're like oh you really like to shoot behind things and you like the, to and it's stuff that i didn't even it didn't even realize and i thought that was pretty cool um and then now I have a distinct style that I didn't really, you fall into your style, right? You kind of fall into um, your voice. And I didn't even realize, other people realized what that voice was before I did, because I'm in it. How do you go from watching filmmakers? You know, I think of this like comedy, right? You mm -hmm. see new stand-up comics and they're funny, but you can definitely be like, oh, that person is mimicking in different jokes, but mimicking a Joe Rogan or a David Tell style or a Jerry Seinfeld style. Let me tell you about my, and you're like, oh, that's the rhythm Jerry uses. And then they break into their own. And then, you know, they, they have the comfort of mimicking a style a little bit and they break into their own. As a filmmaker, was there a style you at first mimicked or because you just came into this raw and, you know, did, purpose of your book right not knowing the terminology and and uh, Robert Rodriguez-esque style of being like no I'm just going to do it did you not fall into that pattern or did you have a little bit of that and then break away all right I'm back okay <laughs> there was a there was this unstable I'm in Shreveport our internet here sucks That's really badly. Okay. so so I was just I would say I was asking if you know with comics there's a uh, 
you, they can fall into a rhythm where they can mm -hmm. not copy a rhythm of someone, the breathing, uh, the, um, the cadence, you know, and then they break into their own rhythm, obviously, you know, like a, yeah. a Burt Kreischer or Tom, Tom Segura who, who do that, but maybe they copied a little bit of Joe Rogan prior to that, mm -hmm. uh, just his rhythms. Did you find yourself doing that or was it because you were so rogue and didn't involve, you know, you took an MBA course, not a filmmaking course, so you didn't have that, um, those influences that maybe others would have? No, I don't. I think everybody steals from artists. Like, <laughs> our, there's a book called All Artists Steal or, or Artists Steal, or I forgot what it was, but, um, by Austin Kleon. Um, and I think everybody does because you, even when you don't realize it, because you're affected by the things you watch, right? So sure. anybody who watches anything, any movies, whatever, are going to be influenced in some way, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, mm -hmm. you know? And, and uh, I definitely have copied stuff. I've, I, um, the, at the end of the year of MBA school, I made a video that showcased every single person in my um, MBA school class and I definitely copied um, Casey Neistat's video. Uh, I messaged him even and said, hey, just let you know, your video that you made inspired me to make this. And, uh, and he wrote me back and said, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but, but like, wow. I literally, yeah. And then I met him later on during self I thought that was even cooler. And then I, when I was in New York, I went to try to find him. He was already gone, but like, I got to see his face and stuff. So that was pretty Anyway. What I'm trying to say is that, yeah, no, you, you, you are inspired. And I get inspired by my friend's work, you know? I get inspired every time I go to a film festival and watch some films, and I'm like, oh, that's a really cool way to, to show that. I'll definitely, and it may not happen immediately. It may, it could happen, you carry that stuff for you for a lifetime. So you could easily, 10 years from now, pull from that and not even realize you are you know? So I just think we're accumulative of our experiences. And of course, those experiences we're going to steal, but nothing's original anymore. You just make it better. That's all. Or you make it your own. Yeah. Have you gotten, or are you looking forward to that first email that says, hey, so I watched this movie of yours and um, I kind of stole the idea and made my own. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm getting... Um, I get getting people definitely messaging saying like, Hey, I really like this film. How did you do that? Or like, um, that's really cool that you did this. Or like, can you tell me how, yeah. And, uh, I think it's, I, I think that's awesome. I think art is such a collaborative medium and it should be that way. It should be, you should be learning always from other people. So I'm, I would be all for that. I like that. Yes. That's a, that's a, uh, once again, a very patient and, um, and uh, mature approach to understanding influences versus mm -hmm. trying to own something. Yeah, well, I think it. I think I've always been like this because I, I went in knowing nothing. Like I, I'm very aware of my limitations when I started making films, and I definitely learned from other people, and I definitely had people who knew better than me that taught me stuff when I one I one thing would be uh one of my DPs that went on to uh DP director of photography um mm -hmm. that went on to shoot 
four of my films, the first time I met him, I didn't know the basics. I didn't know what a slate was. I didn't know what a stinger was, which is a, uh, yeah, I didn't know these basic terms at all. He patiently told me, oh, a stinger is an extension cord. And so I didn't know, I was green. I, I didn't know any of the set lingo. And he shot four of my films after that. So like, wow. I mean. He made an impression. Yeah, you just, I mean, you just never know. Like, that's why I always tell people when I have these, uh, when I talk to film students or whatever is always be nice to everyone and know that you're not above anybody for any job because you don't, you really don't know that person could be your boss next time. Like, you just don't know. And that shouldn't be your reason for being nice to everyone. You should just be nice to everyone, period. But like, okay, if you need a reason for it, just the reason is that, that you could, your paths will cross it could possibly sure. down the line. So, and it has, I mean, for me, the people that I've met in the very, very beginning of my career are still with me now. And I've met so many people from there and, you know, it, in this, especially in the film industry, your name is everything. And word travels, especially in a small film community like Austin, mm -hmm. Texas, um, if you're a shitty, bad director that's mean to people, people know. They it, figure it, it out pretty quick. People hear it very fast. Oh, they hear it. Yeah. What is the, um, how do you see the difference in, in I, in, and I could, and once again, 100% could be wrong and if I sure. do tell, but it seems like I see Hollywood in, in two ways, right? There are the um, connectors and those mm -hmm. are, their network is constantly expanding and they're mm -hmm. constantly leveraging and moving and they're bringing some people along, but there seems to be a churn of people, not in a bad way, just in a movement way of, I want fresh ideas, I want fresh people, I want fresh perspectives. And then there is, for lack of a better term, the um, Adam Sandler group. And it is that group, those people, you're not breaking into it, Mm -hmm. uh, unless someone dies or doesn't show up to work and that's it and once you're in you're in and then that's your genre that's your thing and you're never breaking out of it how do you if, if I'm correct in that assumption how do you balance especially in small market areas like Austin or Louisiana you know and even Atlanta Georgia right I mean they're trying they're the, the tax incentives that they followed from Toronto to bring more money in how do you um how do you ensure growth and challenge and fresh perspective? Um, well, it seems like at the same time, not losing your family. Um, I definitely was in the first boat. Well, I still am. I still keep a lot of the people I work with all the time. Um, when I had my company, uh, when, I, when I was entirely only focused on my production company, Mouth the Flame, mm -hmm there were only a few people I worked with um, because I was comfortable with them and I knew that they wanted to work with me and I knew I could trust them. And I didn't really meet anybody for a long time until I was a first assistant director. And that started to put me in multiple different sets because you travel by sets and I started to meet a lot of people. Um, do I feel like I, didn't I still grew even though it was the same people before 
and I also grew when I was also traveling around and stuff like that. I think, I think it's just being open to other people's opinions and not taking those opinions as a direct insult to who you are as an artist that will help you grow. If that makes any sense. So like if you get a bad review for something, instead of being like, they don't get it, they don't get me as an artist, they just don't, you know, actually being able, after the emotions subside, to actually be able to sit and think about why you might have gotten that bad review or and try to learn from it. Blame that, that intern you, that really fucked it up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Internalize. Did I really fuck it up? Is that did I or was it was it Tom that in you know what? I'm emailing him them like this is your fault. I just want to let you know. I thought you Dude, did great. There are at people first. who do that. Stop. There are, I'm there are, come on. There are filmmakers who do that who if they don't get accepted to a film festival will write a nasty email to that festival director that they don't know what they're doing or saying or whatever. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Who do you think you are? That's, that's how I deter. I think a good filmmaker versus a bad filmmaker, good filmmakers will is are open. They understand that they don't know everything. They, They have a vision but they're open to criticism and they will take that criticism criticism and take what they need from it. Bad filmmakers think they know everything. Any criticism is an insult to them. They take it personally, they get mad, and they just think they're the best shit. Their shit doesn't smell. Like, but that's, that's, you can tell because all the people that I admire and have done bigger things one Sundance they are the nicest people they will um an example um Jim Cummings he in the indie circuit is a huge deal right now um he did the film Thunder Road uh that won Sundance and also won South by Southwest um and um I knew him before he made that feature film because I'd been watching his, his stuff, his short films, and been a huge fan of his stuff. I met him at New Orleans Film Festival because my film was in there, and we just chatted, frankly, and he gave me his number, and I have called him to ask questions, and he's no, you know, like, he is, he doesn't, he is that nice. Like, that is, I think, a true good filmmaker because they understand they have their vision but they are open and to grow you know so that's that's my long-winded conversation that so that's i would say that that's how where i gear towards i'm okay if you come and tell me my shit looks like crap then i'll be like why you know and then they'll you know tell me what did you not like about this or tell me what would you have done differently you know and I will take what I believe I can use or I don't, but at least I'm open to it and understand like, oh, you know, we all have different, because what it comes down to, art, art is taste, right? Art is, is subjective. It's, it, it's, it's can be different in different people's perspectives. There's no one right way to do art, right? And so 
so you you can choose to take someone's criticism or not um i think it's just the idea that you should be open to it sure and to learn from it no so i think that's the way you grow it's, it's it's a valuable lesson not just in art but for life right that uh that you you understand and embrace the differences and um and you listen to them and it's not saying you have to accept it all the time but tell you what there's an art in listening there's an art in 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 hearing criticism yeah without being defensive yeah that, um that takes time and maturity and uh and to your credit and what you do patience you know uh <laughs> Yeah. I remember no, I got my first to. I got my first one star review on this podcast. And it was on <laughs> Apple, so I can't even respond to the person. Oh. Like I can't even be like, hey, what don't you like? All right. I mean, come on, man. Just get one star, like do you not like my long-winded questions or my rants? Like, what is it? I can't even ask. But I saw it, and at first I was pissed. And then I just laughed. Because yeah. at the same time, the reality is, is that I'm honored that person still took time to listen. Yeah. I might not like the response they gave, but listen, they, you're not getting time back. You're not. So I'm sorry if I wasted your time. If you felt I did, I really, I feel bad because that's never my intent. Uh, at the same time, I'm like, well, you know what? Hey, wow. You listened. Thanks. And you took the time to rate me too. <laughs> you took the time. One star, a little painful, but uh, yeah, you took the time to rate me. <laughs> you did. You got on there. I always, you know, uh, when I think about rating things, or I th- you know, if I'm not going to give it five stars and just love it and just be nice. Yeah. Uh, I always think about a comment that, uh, that, that Joe Rogan said. He goes, do you think Michael Jordan goes on Yelp and complains about restaurants? Do you think he went on Yelp when he got poisoned in Utah and almost didn't play game six, do you think he went on Yelp and complained about that pizza? No. No, he didn't have time. Yeah. His brain is somewhere else, right? He's he's trying to make himself and his products and the people around him better. I'm like, that's a really, you know, and then I think, okay, do I take the time to complain or do I color with my daughter? Yeah. You color with your daughter. You know, that's how I see it too. Right. That's what that's no, that's how that's how that's why it always makes me laugh when I get trolls or whatever. Cause I'm like, man, you have so <laughs> much time. Uh, not me, but like um, on our get realism's product, we oh, definitely yeah, yeah, get, yeah. we get definitely got people being like, you don't need a book. That's people selling dreams. I'm like all this bullshit. And I'm just like, you have a lot of time, <laughs> but cool. <laughs> Sometimes controversy is better than nothing, so that's fine. Right. And it's funny, then you'll see these, like, right now this Facebook feed will have, like, a, like so you got that guy, and then there's the other guy who's super passionate about the books, and then he'll be like, no, you're stupid. And then, like, then they fight in this, like, long feed, and I'm just being like, man. You and your phone's so just going, da-ding, da-ding, da-ding. Yeah, da-ding. You're like, nice, turn this <laughs> off. Da-ding, da-ding. Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Can you guys take this to your own personal pages? It'd be great. It's very okay. funny, though. It's hilarious. I'm like man, where do you have this time? <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a crazy world. On a, on a completely random note, and as a filmmaker, as someone who yeah. creates realities, uh, creates, takes pen to paper and goes from pen to paper to literally transporting someone into a, to a fictional world. And as 
Inception is playing in the background. And as we've yes. needled it down, and Christopher Nolan is probably going to take this podcast and use it to understand <laughs> his film better, which I respect. Um, people get mad. They're like, you didn't talk about my favorite part of the movie. I'm like, I don't know who you are, so I don't know your favorite part of the movie. And I, don't even know, I wouldn't even know how to reach out to you to, to even find out. It's an excuse to have a conversation because yes. it would, it, it, you know, when I thought about this, I was like, man, this would be really hard for me to email you or reach out to you and be like, hey, will you spend two hours on the phone with me talking about what? <laughs> I don't know, whatever's on my mind. You're like, no, <laughs> asshole. I've got movies to do. Like, I've got shit to do. Oh, Christopher Nolan's a great, yeah, this is an amazing film. <laughs> so let's watch that. <laughs> let's watch that. Let's talk over that. It's a perfect excuse, right? But, um, you know, we are in the world where you create worlds. Yeah. And Christopher Nolan creates worlds and, 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 and epic worlds and, and documentaries highlight worlds that whether the documentary is, you know, the, the fabrication of the world they've highlighted or whether it's, you know, you're really following a person step by step, whatever it may be, there is a, there is a creation of worlds that, that mm-hmm. you do. Um, based on the craziness of, of everything that we see, even over the last hundred years, the acceleration of everything that's happened, um, the, as close as far as information we've been able to get about people, yet we've created a greater distance between one another. Yeah. What's your over under that we are living in a simulation? <laughs> see how I hooked it? See, I, see, every once in a while, people are like, you know what? He's, he, can, he can be a good interviewer. He's got one or two good questions, and then he's out. And then he's just drinking beer and bullshit. <laughs> You're in a Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is the part you're going to remember. Like, he had like five beers. And all of a sudden, he starts. And now we're all conspiracy theorists. Now we're all conspiracy theorists living in a simulation because I guess I create them. Son of a bitch! <laughs> I thought this was going to be a serious podcast. God, God. God. <laughs> just you know, fast forward to the end, please. That's so funny. Um, I don't know. I. Uh, I mean, I really science don't... says we've got about a forty percent chance that we're AI. that we're in a simulation. Yeah, that 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 just as we're watching AI discover itself, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a, they, they built two AIs to communicate and they created their own language to communicate and then they unplugged them because they created their own language that we couldn't understand. Yeah. Scientists were like, whoa, nope, nope, unplug. We're not yeah. gonna do that. You, ha- you have to wonder, you know, so, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I think he says like a 40% chance we're in a simulation, that we are AI understanding ourselves you know, but you're a creator of artificial worlds. You're a creator of artificial relationships. Yeah. So one, in my mind, it makes sense to ask you that. And then two, in my mind, it, it makes sense to ask you, where does that come from? What makes you different that you can create and build different worlds, different people, different different vibrations across Mm -hmm. the universe that literally impact then how someone is going to see themselves, the world and their relationships. Observation. Like I, uh, so you got real serious again. This is, these are the (laughs) curveballs. 
<laughs> I don't know if we're in a simulation. I think that part I'm kind of like, well, ignorance is bliss and we're in a simulation. I'd rather not know. <laughs> but if we're in a simulation, you're creating simulations in it. So you're like the king in the world of simulations, right? It's so weird. You're, 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 you're one of the pottery makers of it. You're right. You're right. I'm an oracle. You are. So as an oracle, do you think about that when you think about the simulations that you create, the worlds you create, the relationships you create, knowing the, the weight and influence that film has on people? I do, actually. Um, it's when, especially when it's on like a pretty realistic, like very realistic topic. So uh, in Root, for example, is about um, the PTSD that's being suffered through from EMTs right now. So um, it is a real group of people, obviously, and uh, what is being, so I need to be delicate about however I represent that group of people because that can carry out into how people think about them or how they're represented and, and whatnot. So I guess, yeah, it, it, same thing. One of my other films was uh, Ya'albi, which was a Syrian refugee crisis. Yet another very sensitive topic about a real group of people. And uh, my biggest test was showing that film to people who were actually Syrian refugee crisis, like, refugees and getting like a stamp of approval that like to me was the most one of the most rewarding things as a filmmaker because that is a very sensitive topic you never want to shed you don't want to put you're creating stories and you don't want to make one that's false I sure. guess is what I'm trying to say yeah so you know I, I definitely think about that a lot and um I think about like what kinds of messages do I want to spread and how do I want people to think that I represent, you know, what, so I want to make things that are true to what I believe in. And um, so, yeah, so kind of, I still don't know if we're in a simulation or not though. <laughs> Maybe if I get really drunk, I'll like have a definite answer. <laughs> A definite answer for that moment. And then you're like, yes. the next morning, you're like, listen, you're not going to hold my feet to the fire on this. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, um, I, I, I think it's fascinating because simulation or not is, is inconsequential to the fact that in film and art, we continue to push the envelope of creating a simulation, of creating an escape that entices other senses and removes yeah other ones right and and puts us in a story that perhaps um we wouldn't have been put in 10 years ago or 15 years ago mm -hmm. uh, and and it's you know it it as a mid-40s get, getting close to 50 year old man here watching storytelling change from i remember when i was a kid i watched falcon and the snowman oh I don't think I've seen that. What is so, it about? Falcon the Snowman is about an FBI agent who um, is also a Russian spy. My uncle Paul, he, uh, he was part of the CIA team that busted him. Ooh. And he ran a hardware store in a little town called Harlow, Montana after that. Uh -huh. And when all the big 
Home Depots and Lowe's were coming up, Paul's store never went out of business. Paul, uh, his store was always successful. Ooh. Always did well. Paul's retired now, doing well in Helena, Montana or somewhere in those yeah. areas. But I watched and it was very, it, it, it was a story. Uh-huh. And it was verbatim, you know. Yeah. Um, Rocky followed a fantasy theme, right? Not of unicorns and rainbows, but the fantasy theme of life, of this is kind of the American fantasy theme of pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And if you work hard, you can achieve greatness even in your older age. Yeah. You know, and, and so you get these different things that, but they're still just really raw story driven. Mm-hmm. And some of that's the lack of special effects. Some of that is the, the lack of, of, of what we're able to digest as, as consumers. Mm-hmm. But you think about, I mean, with the way Rocky was shot back then, unless it was an independent film, mm-hmm. would it be an Academy Award winning film today? Hard no. to say. There's, there, yeah, no. No. You don't know. Yeah. You don't know. I mean, unless it's an independent one, right? You don't know. And so in, in all of that, like I look at that and I'm like, man, I, I love your answer because you understand the influence that you have. You know, that, that literally people are leaving a film with a different emotion. Yeah. And you're helping construct that emotion that hopefully I'm assuming will make them look at themselves, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's the hope of, uh, for me as a filmmaker, I know some people just, um, and, and some people make movies just for entertainment because they just want people to have fun. Right. That's totally sure. cool. Um, for me, I think because of my documentary background, I've having people question or think about what they believe in is very important fascinating to me and uh something that I, I strive to do in my films so putting in talking about topics that people normally just want to forget they don't exist and putting them out front and center and basically forcing people to to just to, to think about them i think is, is kind of been my thing mm-hmm. so um yeah no i think i think that's the beauty of of an artist is being able to have people get in touch with those feelings and to strike a conversation from that. That can be via music, that can be via visual medium, but that's why movies are so powerful because it's, it's all of those senses combined together. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. What is um, for music? I mean, music is the one thing that seems to influence me the most, right? Whether it's in film or just, I mean, you turn on a certain song outside, man, and I'm going to crack open a beer. Not that that's hard for me to do. But, <laughs> but there's other songs, right, where all of a sudden, no matter how cold the pool is, I'm jumping in, right? Yeah. It, it, you know, what are, is it songs? Is it instrumentals? What? What works for you to to ensure that emotional attachment in your films? Music is definitely one of them um, because I I had a background in music, um, so I was a concert just MBA pro- film background in music, <laughs> some other stuff, part time doctor. <laughs> I'm gonna send this to your parents. And be like, seriously, folks. <laughs> I get shit done. 
<laughs> she gets uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I was very serious in piano um, from the age of seven all the way to undergrad. I actually um, thought I was going to go and be a professional pianist. Um, so for a brief semester, I took lessons at the Shepherd School of Music at Rice. Um, because I was in damn so no legit I mean there's like something like I wanted to be professional you know I had a tutor and I did it after school <laughs> and you're like I did it at Rice <laughs> FYI <laughs> it's not it's not a yeah no, I, was, dream. I was very it was very uh serious and uh you put your own piano music then in I don't I want to call it piano music I don't know what else to call it do you put right. that in your films I do play a big role when we write music. Yes. Like I will, I sit with my um, composer and we will sit there and I'll be like, uh, I feel like it needs to resolve more to like a G than it's resolved to it. So yeah. I, so he that appreciates help? that. I was going to say, how much does that help when, cause I'm, I'm assuming not a lot of directors have that same. I think it help. It helps me. Um, he appreciates it. My, my uh, composer is brilliant. Uh, his name is Nick Longoria. Um, anyway, uh, he Nick. appreciates it. Shout out to Nick. He's awesome. Uh, but he appreciates it because like so sometimes he's, because he's worked with directors who don't have that. And you, I think that it is that you just get to point B faster. So like with a director who doesn't have that it may take them a lot more time going back and forth with trying to understand what he wants to keep you know to get to point b with me i'm very clear because i know i want it to go to a major key or i need it to go to this particular can you go so it helps us get to point b faster so um, i'm gonna explain this to to my my, my people okay when we watch days of thunder and Tom Cruise was driving the car and he talked to the guy at the bar. He goes, I don't understand what you're yelling in my ear. He goes, when it comes around the corner, I don't like the way the car wiggles. He goes, well, that's the back end X, Y, and Z. Tom is a regular director. You are the expert that has not only built the car, but can drive the car and understands how the car works. So when you go to the mechanic, you're like, you need yeah. to tighten the left lug nut a little bit more and I need a slight shave on the inside of the right tire because it's going to get me there faster. Yep. Yeah. My people. All right. Yeah. No, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. No, you're exactly right. Yeah. No, it's, um, so I don't, I believe directors can get to that point. It's sure. just like how they get to that point and how fast they can get to that. And I tend, and because of my music background, I'm able to get to point B a lot faster. Um, and also, um, I don't know, music, music definitely, I, I'm very visual. So when I hear something, I can see stuff. It's weird. You know, like I'll, I'll um, I hear a song and I'll be like, oh man, this would be cool if it was in a, this kind of car with the top down and we're driving, you know, into the sunset. I don't know. You know, I've like, I can see visually some of this stuff. So, um, so I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I just, music is, I think, is extremely important and I think having that background allows me to communicate with um, the composer to get to what I want faster. Sure and then I, you know, I challenge our audience right so um, yeah watching her films 
understand that people put music in films, obviously, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's to, to clear dead space um, quietness, and sometimes it's to create emotion, and sometimes it's to build to something. But music is there, and uh, I would ask them then to um, understand that uh, that comparison, if you or, or that understand that you're not using music as a filler you're using no. it as as a as a crucial element and i think that's another no. thing too i think as for a good filmmaker i think the more i make films the more heightened i am to understanding the importance of every component that goes into that film mm -hmm. so when i first started films i may not have known that picking a certain color for what she wears could literally affect and translate how some people felt about her, you know? But now that I've no film more and I've done it, I'm hyper aware of that. You know, I'm very much like, no, she can't wear this color. Or she has to wear this color or, or let's change. And, and people pick up on that surprisingly. They do, it may be like, well, I feel a certain way and I don't know why. But there are definitely more uh, sophisticated uh, watchers that will definitely pick up on that stuff. And it always surprises me when they do. And I get really excited because I'm like, I thought nobody would give a crap about that. And you totally got it. Um, happens all the time on, on film stuff. They're like, wow, that relationship is a parallel between this thing. I was like, yes. yes. <laughs> nice work. You get yes. an A for the day. <laughs> Were you smoking something? <laughs> How many shrooms did you have? Yeah. Yes, be. Yes. So in everything in life, there's, there's, there's quality and, and, there's, and then there's guilty pleasures, guilty mm -hmm. indulgences, if you will. Uh, when I was, my daughter was first born, my wife had a C-section. And so I did the late night feedings, right? Mm. She's not getting up and getting out of bed. She's got layers of stitches inside of her body. Yeah. But I also leveraged it in a totally inhumane way <clears throat> to introduce my daughter to Huey Lewis in the news. So <laughs> also Muddy Waters and also Guns N' Roses. <laughs> you know, I mean, just, you know, but it's like my guilty pleasure stuff in life. It's funny because my, uh, you know, my, my daughter, you can see it now. She's six and mm -hmm. she'll be like, oh, Huey Lewis in the news, pool jams. Or, oh, that's Toad the Wet Sprocket. Or, I'm going to have a bath now. I want on Muddy Waters or Great Caesar Band. Or, Aww. there's this French hip-hop blues yeah. band that's part in Louisiana, part in France, called Scarecrow. She's uh -huh. like, oh, I remember meeting them. Uh, let's play that while we go on our walk. And what are your guilty pleasures? What are the things that... That if so, for, even for people that know you, they're just like, hey, don't say you like this band or this show or this movie. Do you got one? Um, I definitely have guilty pleasures, uh, but they're very funny because you would think like, oh, like for I'm, and I would love to ask other filmmakers I look up to what theirs are because for my for me, I really love watching like terrible dance movies and terrible rom-coms um what's a terrible rom-com to you i've never watched a dance movie so i've oh, actually break in and break into electric boogaloo so i've watched those 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's see here. Stuff like, um, I just watched like, so you can dance, something about dance. I forgot. I can't, okay. I can't even remember. Yeah. It's just, um, I can watch Love Actually over and over and over again. Like I love that movie. Um, that's not a terrible rom-com. It's actually a really good movie. Um, I can watch uh, just anything Hallmark that comes out during the Christmas. You know, the dog walker that falls in love with the other dog walker. Like, it's completely, utterly predictable. But- <laughs> <laughs> like, there's two dog walkers. It's on Hallmark. They fall in yeah. love. Obviously, celebrate Christmas together. And she gets yes. on Christmas, which is how it should be. Yeah, pretty much. It's like completely wedding, predictable. Dog Walker 2 already shot, and the wedding is on January 1st. That's how we start the new year. Jesus, <laughs> follow along, will you please? <laughs> I don't know why, but I just like, I think it's because like if I watch anything of more depth, then I end up analyzing it too sure. much. But like with those, I can just be like, oh, I know what's going to happen. Okay, they're going to, so I can just like actually relax. Now, would you, would you do one of those? Like if, some, if Hallmark came up and they're like, listen, I want you to do a Valentine's Day movie for us. And this is the premise. So here we go. A guy is at the airport and his plane, <laughs> it doesn't take off because they can't find a park. So he goes to the coffee shop not a bar, the coffee shop. And he meets a beautiful barista in a different city. But he does a lot of business in that city. Not only now does he get airline miles, right? From this one airline, so we can go out of that same concourse every time. But he falls in love with her and wins her over and brings her to his wonderful city. But he encourages her to get a barista job. And that destroys her confidence in who she is and the dreams that she wants to have. Until he comes around and understands of who she is as a woman that doesn't fulfill him as a man, but makes them great together as a couple. Damn, that's good. (laughs) (laughs) Off the cuff, my friend. Off the cuff. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, um... If someone wanted to pay me lots of money to shoot that, yeah, maybe. I would totally do it. You're in. You're in. <laughs> I love it. Listen. I, I might use a pen name, but I will do it. <laughs> do a pen name. Absolutely. And then just, and then have that, that one fun night, like that ladies night where you get all your girlfriends here. And they're like, let's yeah. watch a movie. And they're like, Jesus, who did this? Are you really watching this? You're like, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, there's a real goddamn story here, okay? You hear the music? You like the piano? Do you? <laughs> Play it right now. <laughs> They're like, oh, whoa, hey, I know you like Hallmark, but easy, easy, easy. Okay? <laughs> Tom Brokaw did this. What a great pen name. <laughs> you obviously okay. spell Tom with two M's. You don't want to plagiarize. <laughs> so, um, I mean, Christopher Nolan, I apologize. The movie's over. Um, okay. It's been... Christine, this is uh, this has been a lot of fun. I really, I, I appreciate the, you know, the the seesaw of of this podcast, obviously, and my crazy brain. Uh, you being patient with 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 it all, and and doing this, uh, it's it's a real honor and pleasure. Um, I would, I'd like you to close out with this. So so two okay. things. I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna ask you a question. 
and then I'll say goodbye. And then my daughter's going to sing about the first time she took a poop. And that's how the podcast ends. I know, right? She's, she's a cute kid. She's going to sue me one day. But until then. <laughs> until then. <laughs> unless unless it's pays for college. It. And I'm like, hey, did you, did you like your life? Good. <laughs> the poop song sucks. But um, so uh, the, the, things that, the, the two things that I'd say, and I, I, I hinted to it earlier, right, is, um, you know, uh, things are going to come and go. I joke around bananas, they, they go bad, uh, bread goes bad, avocados, those precocious little bitches go bad all the time. But um, time is the one thing that we don't get back. You can go to the store and get anything else, right? You can make and lose money, but you, time is, you, you don't get it back. So uh, picking a two and a half hour movie, God bless you. And then, um, you know, staying on for the two and a half hours, God bless you. But also for the time, um, you know, we don't, I don't get that get back. back. You don't get that back. I'm sorry. I can't tell it back to you. I mean, maybe if we're, we're in a false reality, your creator can give you more two and a half more hours. Okay. You can ask him or her or it or the AI or whatever it is. Uh, the other thing, you know, that I, that I started doing and, um, and challenging people to do is just take the next week and every day you wake up, look in the mirror and say, I love you. It's amazing how it changes your day. Uh, it's, it's amazing in uh, already the beautiful, beautiful perspective you have on understanding people, um, what it does uh, to, uh, to, to love yourself so that you can love other people. And uh, with that, I would ask you as a, uh, as a charismatic, uh, strong, confident, successful woman in this world um, where it just seems like, damn it, man, it's, Two steps forward, one step back, Paul Abdul. What's your message to the young female filmmakers and who want to be filmmakers? What's your message to them out there? Don't wait. Don't wait for somebody to give you an opportunity. Create your own opportunities. That would be my message. If you're going to wait, you're going to wait forever. Who says that you can't be a filmmaker right now? So go and find a camera. Use your phone. There's really no excuse. You can be a filmmaker today. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Thank you for the time. Thank you for uh, what you're doing uh, and um, everything that you've, uh, that you've accomplished in inspiring other people. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not missed. So thank you very much. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Did I lose you? No, I want to hear the poop song. Oh, no. You'll hear the poop song. At the, I got I to gotta play it. I, I, I edited it in. I edit the poop song and I edit the poop song in at the end, but, um, no, where's the poop song? <laughs> let me see, hold on. Let me see if I can, can I play it? Let me see if I play it okay. on this. If, um, if you can hear it, people will hear it twice. I do not care. Import audio. Close can you sing it? Uh, let me see if I, if I play it, if it'll play, let's see here. Let me do, um, let me get my volume up. Okay. And, uh, boom. can kind of hear it she goes high five i did a poop i did a poop high <laughs> five i did a poop ha 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 he ha 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 ha, ha. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> oh that's so great yay i heard
so that's what closes song. out the podcast. But thank you I again. Love it. Hey, um, that's great. Wait, you want to come on and talk about a film or one of your films? I would love to do one of your films uh, down the road. Let me know. Um, I will always make myself available. So cool. Uh, thank well, you so much. Yeah, when in root comes out, we'll talk about that. Perfect. Yes. I appreciate it. Thank you again. Have a wonderful week ahead of you. And uh, once again, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.